Hello, I'm Matt Peterson. And I am Rich Trapier. And this is episode 33 of History on the Table. Happy holidays, everyone. Yeah, Happy holidays, cheers. Rich. Cheers, indeed. Special evening tonight. This is our, I guess if you downloaded this episode blindly, <laughs> this is our end of the year best of 2021 recap. Yeah. Our third, our third year doing it. Second year for Rich, third year for me. Uh, but it's always better with Rich, so glad you're here for another year. Yeah, me too. And it's been kind of a weird year. We're, you know, as we were preparing for this, we were talking about that. And hopefully this will be the last year that we go, wow, this was really a weird year. Yeah, yeah. Next year will just be normal. This will be the last year we sell. Well, if we, you know, exclude (laughs) exclude COVID, then yeah, Yeah. it was a pretty good year. But all things considered, I know it's been a rough year, again, for a lot of people. From a strictly wargaming hobby perspective, it's it's been it's been pretty all right. Yeah, yeah. Vassal is a wonderful thing. Absolutely. And we even had some face-to-face gaming. We're going to talk about that in the episode, but before we talk about all the good stuff from 2021, if you are new to our end of the year shows, how it works because I I had this little disclaimer each year. I Colton the new is fine, but there are 40 plus years 50 plus years uh, i was trying to think when operation pegasus was designed which was 1980 40 plus years of great war games yeah um operation pegasus wasn't the first war game but i think it's the oldest on our list so rich and i will provide you with our best new to us in 2021 games yeah we'll talk about the games that we played that did come out in 2021 there were a few but uh, there weren't that many. We'll talk about that more next month when we do our look forward to 2022. Right. Exactly. And we do have one 2021 exclusive category, which is just a straight up category. One game, best 2021 board game. Yeah. We also like to include a whole bunch of special guests. So thank you to our special guests. We've got uh, a nice blend of podcast voices or uh, no real YouTube voices, but podcast voices, war games designers, war gaming faculty, all kinds of different uh, people joining us this year. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Should be a good one. Jason did not. Jason from Advance After Combat does not disappoint with the uh, <laughs> never does breadth of his year in review. And then finally, so this is really kind of a two, almost three part episode. The first part of the show will be all the war game and board game stuff. So if that's what you're here for, that's what you want to listen to. We also have our annual Every War Game Ever re-ranking segment that'll follow the board games. And then we close out the show with some stuff that some of you may not care about or maybe you want to stick around for, and that's all the other good stuff we enjoyed this year. Books, drinks, RPGs, movies, TV shows, anything else? Yeah. Pull up a chair, pour yourself a drink, join us. Yeah. We have, we have poured our drinks. That's right. What are you drinking? I... Save the best for the every end of the year recap show. That's Log of Will and 16 for me. Nice. That's good stuff. What are you drinking? I'm drinking Jefferson's Ocean tonight. Mm-hmm. In fact, and I you, think I'm going to finish off my bottle. Yeah, I may, uh, I may. I have another sealed bottle upstairs of Log of Will and, but I may polish this one off. Yeah. We'll see how the night goes. 
I think I'm out of Lagavulintilla. I I had a bottle at 12, and I finished that off a couple weeks ago. Ah, So good. All of it's good. All of it's good. Even if you see the discounted um, Game of Thrones bottles around, they're worth it. (laughs) The, The very last thing I'll add is... After this episode goes live, if you want to see a list of games, you can just see a text list, no spoilers, it'll all just be right there. That will go up on our website probably a day or two after. New website. New website, historyonthetable.com. So you can find a list of all the war games there. I'll do show notes and everything, but I probably won't spoil the games in the show notes. Cool. Anything else? Any disclaimers you want to provide, Rich? I provide no disclaimers other than we'll probably record a little longer and we're both drinking, so the end might be even more fun than usual. Beautiful. Love to hear it. Yeah, uh, last year it was three hours. Yep. Uh, I listened back. <laughs> Whew. Okay, so here we go. First category. You'll find that these are similar to the Charles S. Roberts Awards, but they've been kind of adjusted <laughs> to what Rich and I tend to play. So we've cut out some categories and adjusted. You'll see. Okay, so first up we have War Games, Ancients Era to Pre-American Revolution. And I want to start out with one that I just crammed in as much as I could just over the last week. And, and I'm so we- glad you've been playing it because this has been like on my shelf a shame forever. We've both been saying we want to play it. So yes. I'm glad you you got there. Yeah. GMT keeps announcing titles and <laughs> we, we shut off the tap, but open up the tap because Nevsky, Teutons and Roos in Collision, 1240 to 1242 from GMT Games designed by Volkarinki is fantastic. Everyone that plays it says so. I don't know why I haven't played it. Yeah, and this will definitely be a featured game at some point, so we're not going to do a deep dive into any of these games. Some of these games we've talked about and rated on the show, but what I will say is this game is a great example of a mechanically simple, not simple, mechanically straightforward game and rule set with excruciating decisions nice one of the one of the things that can be difficult with this game is how do you even get started which which lords do you levy like what's a good way to even start the game and just a couple weeks ago volko posted a quick start guide which was immensely helpful both playing it face to face which is how i would recommend playing this game not a great solo game but even solo just to get everything set up and then just get the things moving very helpful cool and that's Nevsky from Team Games. Yeah. First one for me in this category is uh, it's a Clash of Arms game from the Battles of the Age of Reason series. I, I played a couple uh, this year, but this is the one I played most extensively, but Prague and Empty, and Empty Triumph. I just, I love this series. It's so good. It's Battles from the Age of Reason, so it's it's pre-Napoleonic. Uh, that's got a couple games that go as, as late as the American Revolution, but it's mostly like you know, uh, I guess Thirty Years' War, um, Austria, um, what's the Austria War of Austrian Secession? I guess yeah, that one. So, um, but the series is just great. It's it is very in depth. Um, it's got as far as you know, you've got formations and each side has different movement points depending on which way they're turning their guys and stuff like that because it's all very historical. It's got a random events chart that's just crazy and super fun. Um, the maps are beautiful. I love everything about it. Uh, so that's that's my game for this category. Yeah, you want to talk about uh, 
piles of shame. Uh, Bar has been in my collection. Yeah. And unplayed way longer than Nevsky was and remains so. But gorgeous. I mean, just each one of these titles I've seen just have fantastic production value. Yeah. Okay, so we have our first 2021 entry, which did not take us long at all. Uh, another GMT Games. This one's designed by Mark Roderigue, and another favorite in this era for me was Bayonets and Tomahawks. So so many things just just from the component quality, the the interesting way the map is laid out, and what really shines in this game is how combat is resolved. So this is a French Indian War card driven game. Again, nothing too complex. It's not like we're talking about this super massive meaty system like Bar. It's it's actually pretty easy to grasp. What I really like is how units are represented on the map. So militia will be a square, if I remember correctly, and natives or or I'm sorry, militia would would be triangles, I think, and then trained units would be squares. Regardless, they're each represented by different shapes, and natives can win a combat against trained trained forces but they may not inflict losses and it's how those shapes inflict losses on each other or not inflict losses on each other and win battles uh this is just a great entry when way back i've talked about how wilderness war was one of the very first war games i played i'm sure wilderness war is a fantastic game but how we went about trying to learn that game i just bounced off hard and almost turned me off from war gaming i would love to go back to wilderness war at some point but as it stands this is easily my favorite game on the on the era i guess I and mean, i haven't played a ton but i really like bayonets and tomahawks nice have you you have not played this yet right no i have not i've got a local friend that's asked me about it a couple times this will i'm sure this one will get to the table next year um just because it's a good one for a game day it's not a not a it super is. long complex one it's one that you can easily plop down and play quickly and the, even the campaign which is several turns um can be done in depending on you know how well one side does, mm-hmm. uh, can be done in, in just a couple turns. The, the other thing I'll add is war games are incredibly expensive, and the P500 price for this or the online retail price for this is just really refreshing because you get a full, very well-designed, nice component game for a lot cheaper than some of the other stuff you see. So that was, that was nice too. That's good. Although this one's kind of hard to find right now, isn't it? It is getting close. Yeah. A lot of places I checked, Noble Knight Games still had a copy in stock. I'm sure you can find it elsewhere as well. Okay. Uh, my next one is definitely not a 2021 game, but I played it in 2021. <laughs> That's back. We go back to 1983 for this one. It's an Avalon Hill game called Empires in Arms. Uh, this is a huge multiplayer Napoleonic game, and uh, it was it was very good. Um, <laughs> So we'll, we'll talk about this one later, but, um, yeah, it's super complex, um, to the point where the, the, the battles are complex and you got to basically get a, a calculator to figure them out. Um, turns take, you know, a, a turn could take an hour to hour or multiple hours to play. Um, we played over the course of, uh, what did we play for like three or f- we played for four days, I guess, and made it through probably eight hours a day made it through about two years of the game and the the full campaign would be something like 10 years or something like that so um it's a huge game it's not not for the weak of heart but um yeah it was it was good um we'll we'll talk about it more later i do have one question now uh in case someone doesn't make it till later yeah uh which sounds way more grim than i intended 
Do, do you need the seven to, to really get this or can you do it with less? That is a good question. I really don't know. Um, I would mean, you, I, I would I say guess you've only played it at seven. Would you imagine yourself playing this with less than seven? Yeah. So like I could, I could definitely see the Ottomans not playing. Um, that would drop it down to six, I guess. Who else would I drop out? Maybe Spain. If you drop it down to five, um, if you go any lower than that, um, I'm not sure how well it would play. I wonder if you combine forces. Yeah, maybe. Nice. There you go. Empire and Arms. Yeah. All right. And the last entry in this category. So uh, one thing I did forget to add, we were limited to three games in each category. And that ended up making the Ancients to just before the American Revolution category for me way more crowded than I thought it was going to be. Actually, to cut games this year. Uh, so we were limited to three. But our last entry, we have a crossover. And if you listened to our last episode, this probably isn't a surprise. <laughs> uh, Sword of Rome GMT Games designed by Ray Farrell. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go back to the last episode or just take our word for it that this is a solid, asymmetric four-player clash for the Italian peninsula kind of before Rome gets started. I mean, they're they're really strong in this game. I think something we both really liked from this is the unique decks for each power instead of one shared deck. Yeah, the fun factor is super high. Yeah, yeah. Can't take it too serious, but also there's a good enough, certainly a good enough game there that um, it's not a completely screw you game like Cosmic Encounter or something. Well, we have our first guest. All right. Is this the war game guest game where I get to guess who? Well, except you're looking at the show <gasps> outlines. We could I was, have. I was going to be would, so smart. That would have been fun. We'll do that next year. I'll list the games that they designed, and then we'll unintentionally embarrass them yeah. for taking time to record a clip, and we can't remember the games they produce. Uh, but we remember this one because this is the designer of Undaunted, and uh, a feature of every war game ever list, Pavlov's House. Yeah, which is a whole series a, now. It's called whole, a, yeah. a Valiant Defense series, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah. with more coming. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of want to check out Postman in Soldier's Uniforms. That was uh-huh. cool. Anyways, Dave, let's listen in to David. David's going to give us a whole rundown of great stuff. Hey, this is David Thompson with some of my favorites of 2021. So my favorite game of the year was Judean Hammer, a quick-playing, card-driven game for two players. Favorite podcast, other than, of course, History on the Table, was Liz Davidson's Beyond Solitaire. My favorite event was attending a couple of different uh, rounds of SD HisCon online, and I'll be joining them next year at Dice Tower West in March. That'll be fun. And then my favorite book of the year was Mission France, which was is about the women of the special ops executive during World War II. Thanks. That's not the last time we'll hear Liz Davidson. Have you heard of Judean Hammer? I have. I saw it on a YouTube video probably this year sometime. Um, it was, yeah, I can't remember who was doing it, but probably someone was, you know, interviewing David or something like that. And they, they just gave like a quick demo of the game. I think it was obviously a playtest version or whatever, but yeah, it looks interesting. Yeah, I um, I think maybe when it came out, it kind of popped across. It's got like a pretty unique art art design going to it i don't think robin david is, has really done much war game stuff before but um hey if david says it's good then it must be yeah all right let's move on to our next category it's more war games american revolution just up to world war ii so everything in between there 
I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the first one because it's really 2020 game of the year for so many people. And that's Imperial Struggle, GMT Games, Ananda Gupta, and Jason Matthews. This is fantastic. It's an action selection game where you're really manipulating four different theaters in anticipation of four different wars that, you know, will um, will trigger everything from the American Revolution and really the battles of the Age of Reason, right? Uh, yeah, there's four wars in it, ending with the American Revolution, so. Right. Yeah. Austrian Secession. Seven Years War. And is it Spanish Secession or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I think one it's more. Spanish Secession is the other one. Yeah. And and you're you're taking these actions from a pool. It's very Euro themed, but it just plays great. I think it's a game that will reward continued play, not from memorizing event cards like Twilight Struggle, just from knowing what to anticipate and knowing what to go after based off what is scheduled to occur in the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. But there's also it, uh, especially with the the resources like the tobacco and all that stuff that gets randomized. So uh-huh. it's not going to be the same every every game. For sure. I liked it. I liked it a lot. And now I, I this was more crowded for me than it was for Rich. So I'll go ahead and go again. And I've posted this on Twitter. This is from Victory Games from Eric Lee Smith. The Civil War, 1861 to 1865. Yeah. I'm not. Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say at some point we are going to have to do a deep dive with this one in the U.S. Civil War. Compare yes, and contrast. And I, I will not spoil that. That. Like, which one I like more than the other. What I will say is this is a fantastic game. It offers different aspects that are not covered by the U.S. Civil War. And I think that if you really liked Grand Strategic Civil War stuff, which I really do, that you could definitely justify owning or even just playing both the Civil War and the U.S. Civil War. They offer unique enough experiences. They are very similar, do not get me wrong. But they do things differently that I like them both. I did not have a whole lot from uh, from this category this year, but the one that I did have that I enjoyed playing was Washington's Crossing. Uh, we talked about that a few months ago, but uh, you and I have talked lots of times about GCACW, and Washington's Crossing has some of that feel to it. It's 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 mm-hmm. it's not the same, but it's got some of that feeling to it, and it's it's got some some advantages in that it's a smaller map, quicker player game. It's got some interesting stuff about, you know, hiding the numbers of your forces and things like that. And it's very specific game about a, uh, not a, I don't want to say a small campaign, but it doesn't have the scope of some of the other games that we like to play, but it was fun. It was very fun. And I hope revolution games or Roger Miller is out there listening, (laughs) knowing that they should continue this series. I, I didn't know this until I just clicked his bgg page roger miller is the same designer of celis and now that's gazala interesting i am playing celis tomorrow okay yeah now uh, he hasn't done anything since gazala which is another revolution games that was 2013 right so and the guy that i'm playing celis with tomorrow is the guy that's redesigning gazala so he'll probably have a lot to say huh. about that yeah, I wonder, I hope Richard is doing well out there and still designing games. Yeah, I'll ask him. He should continue the Washington's Crossing series, for sure. Because I liked it too. Mm-hmm. But, uh, like I said, crowded crowded in, uh, lists this year for me, especially because there was a new entry, new 2021 entry, and that's Hood Strikes North. Yeah. This is GCACW, Multiman Publishing, Joseph Bukowski, Ed Beach, Chris Withers. 
this will be featured at some point. Sure. It's a GCACW game. We'll play it. It's a theater I enjoy. You have um, Thomas in command for the Union in the West. This is late Civil War, and this is uh, Hood Strikes into Tennessee. Is this really after cool. Atlanta? Before, Before just Atlanta. leading up to, okay. just leading up Got to it. it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Hey everyone, it's Matt. I was completely in the wrong here. You don't need to shout at me. This is late 1864, after JB Hood had evacuated Atlanta. So post Atlanta campaign, still a great Civil War game. Enjoy the rest of the episode. And there's so I've played the first two scenarios. The first scenario is really just a typical kind of intro scenario. The one thing I'll say is this is not as Roads to Gettysburg is one of the best. Roads to Gettysburg 2 is one of the best just value for game out there in terms of scenarios. This this is only has one advanced scenario, and then it has eight basic scenarios. It is a one-map GCACW, which is surprisingly rare. I went back and checked. Most of them are two-map games. Yeah. So, the, I mean, I don't. we don't really need to go into it. It's more GC, GCACW, and... It plays like GCACW. There's cool stuff in the campaign scenario where uh, Thomas can get replaced. People can pass away. It's more of a you need to have certain amounts of Confederate forces near or in Nashville. You know, in some of the really spread out scenarios, it's about holding county seats and that types of thing. But it's uh, it's GCACW and it's good. Nice. Yeah. I mean, you say GCACW and it's already got some points with me, so. Did you get this one? No, I did not. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit... I think what they should have done with this is made it a little more... And maybe the pre-order price was more in line with this. More introductory, like, hey, here's the game to get if you are a little intimidated about jumping into GCACW. Yeah. I think you can get any of them, but really this one feels like an intro GCACW box. Yeah, and I think the reason I didn't get this one is because I got Road to Gettysburg 2, and that's got so much in it yeah. that I was like, I don't need another one, you know. If Which is, Battle Above the, Above the Clouds was available, I may not have gotten this one. Yeah. Uh, nice. So that is our AMREV to pre-World War II section. Uh, let's take another break, and let's hear from Sebastian Bay and Goose. Greetings from the Georgetown University Wargaming Society, also affably known as Goose. My name is Sebastian Bay, and I'm the faculty advisor for Goose and an adjunct professor at Georgetown's Center for Security Studies. For this year's Best of 2021 segment, I've compiled a couple of inputs from our executive committee members and our wider membership. For myself, the best war game I've discovered is Oak and Iron by Firelock Games, an Age of Sail naval war game with an amazing yet simplistic uh, sailing and combat engine. I can't recommend it enough, truly. As a group, by far the best events we've held have been uh, those that we've been allowed us to come together and play games. Uh, we've been able to get a wide array of games on the table, from Twilight Imperium's third edition to Root, and even my own Fleet Marine Force War game. As for our webinar series that we do pretty much weekly this year, our best webinar this year has been by Tim Barrett, a retired colonel in the Marine Corps, and his presentation on his operational war game system, also known as OWS. 
it is a game that explores a hypothetical conflict between U.S. and China for educational pur purposes for professional military education. It's also known as Assassin's Mace. A close runner-up in terms of webinars have been Pete Pellegrino's presentation on the interwar period at the Naval War College and Paul Weber's uh, presentation on designing operational naval war games. So from Goose, we hope to see you in 2022. All right, Oak and Iron sounds fantastic. Yeah, I always get that confused with Iron and Oak. I have to look and see yes. which one is which. <laughs> imagine imagine that, yeah. getting a game called Iron and Oak and Oak and Iron confused. Yeah, so Iron and Oak is the GMT game, but Oak and Iron, I, I went ahead and got the I got the box. You did, As yeah. soon as I listened to Sebastian's clip, I was done. Yeah, I, I would like, so we're off on a rabbit trail when I go here, but a while ago, my daughter and I used to play X-Wing together. And then we stopped playing for a while, and eventually I gave it to a friend because he was playing it and I wasn't. I'm like, you just take it, have it. And then, of course, next thing that happens, my daughter's like, why do we ever play X-Wing anymore? <laughs> so I was thinking about getting some sort of naval minis game that kind of feels like X-Wing, but it's not X-Wing. And, and that was one that I was thinking of looking at. Available at Miniature Market. Yeah. That's where I got my copy. Nice. I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> there you go you may have to like i it's a game in a box yeah which is that's always appealing when it comes to miniature absolutely. stuff absolutely all right speaking of games in a box let's talk about some games in boxes yes it's our best of world war ii world war ii is always a good category it is why don't you start us off i'm gonna start off with a game that i played uh just a couple months ago for the first time it's another old game um but flat top which i was nice. just very pleasantly surprised by. I mean, I knew I would like it. It's just, but once I got into it, saw the mechanics and saw the, you know, just everything about it. That the fact that everything is hidden, there's nothing on the map until you get detected, and you're you're pulling all these levers behind the scenes to try to get your planes in the air, get them with the right bombs and everything. Try to make sure that you have capacity to land them so they don't crash and die because you're doing other things at the time. Um, just uh, I, I definitely want to play this more next year. An oldie but a goodie. Oh, absolutely. Speaking of pulling levers, Buffalo Wings. Mm -hmm. This is the reprint from Against the Odds of J.D. Webster's Air Power series. A few things going on here. One, it's Finnish Air War. So, Finland, bonus points. Don't be surprised if it's my game of the year. <laughs> it's not. It's not. But... It feels very mechanical, and it is very mechanical in how you actually play the game. Everything is, you need to be moving to execute the maneuvers you want to do, and you track all of that stuff through spreadsheets. And the more, and I've talked about this on the show, the more I think about those spreadsheets, the more I actually like this game and appreciate those being present to understand and grasp the concepts in the game. Mm-hmm. It is a very basic map. I mean, some of the maps are just blue maps, and somehow they still look beautiful, <laughs> which I don't know how they did it, but they did. I will say that I'm terrible at this game and still enjoy it. Like, I am not <laughs> good at maneuvering aircraft in this level of detail. It's tactical air. It's, you know, the intro scenario is just one plane against one plane, but it just feels good to fly them around even when you suck at it. Mm-hmm. And that's Buffalo Wings. Nice. Now, you watch this play. You have not played this, right? Correct. I just watched you guys play a little bit. And I think Speed of Heat got a shout-out last year, which is Jet Power, which also, like, I there are people out there that I think this is like ASL to them. 
where it's it's their lifestyle game. I can see or that. Or li- lifestyle series, I should say. How big do the scenarios get in that game? I- oh, I think they get pretty unruly. Well, sorry, I shouldn't say unruly, <laughs> but at least, I mean... I don't. I guess I don't know how big, but I would imagine they get up to the point of several planes at once. Okay. Which those spreadsheets are going to be real handy, sure. and that means it lends itself really well to play with multiple people because then everyone just flies planes. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you're up next. I'm up next. Um, so like you said, you in Finland, automatic checkbox. Me in Hungary, automatic checkbox. So newest game in the BCS series, Battalion Combat Series by Multiman Publishing, is a game called Panzer's Last Stand about Operations Conrad One, Two, and Three. It's the Germans. The Germans got surrounded in Budapest, um, and then they launched some operations to try to relieve the guys that were surrounded in Budapest. So this is about that. Uh, those operations and fantastic that's all i can say is i just can't stop playing it <laughs> this has been yeah i was gonna say this has been living in your head for a while it, now, it has it? been yeah it's uh so i've got two different bcs games going right now one solitaire one with someone else um and panzer's last stand just it's just it it's just everything that i like about a war game i mean it's it's compartmentalized so you know you can do a single formation and do an activation and you know this is my objective for today and try to do this and sometimes turns are only a few minutes but there's still lots of great decisions to make it doesn't have as much of the supply juggling as ocs does but you still have to be careful make sure that your supplies aren't like crossing the streams with the other guys and i just love the game bcs is the game for war games fans who are also fans of ghostbusters why is that Oh, crossing the streams. There you don't want to cross the streams. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> crickets, crickets, crickets. Uh, I like what you said about it being compartmentalized because I think that's a huge selling point of BCS mm-hmm. is bite-sized activations. Yep. It makes for a great play by email and great solitaire if you have to put it down and come back to it. Nice, nice, nice. Next year, yep. we will feature some BCS for sure. All right. Maybe... The game from 2021 to generate the most buzz. Yeah, certainly hard to find. Atlantic Chase, GMT Games, designed by Jeremy White. And this is, just like Panzer's Last Santa, 2021 entry. Uh, This is fantastic. What do I like about it? It is, I don't like learn to play the game by playing these tutorials i that has never worked well for me it didn't work with um coin does that. oh what's what's the guy that bombed um japan do little raid yeah do that game from gmt that was play by tutorial that didn't click for me and okay. cataclysm they really tried to push that it, there's too many you can't do play by tutorial with a five or six player game with that level of so I just bounced off those things. Sure. This, however, just works for some reason. And I don't know if it's that the concepts really aren't that hard or it's the tutorial missions. I did the tutorial mi- missions in an afternoon. I was done with the tutor- tutorial book at that point. Okay. And they tell you exactly, here's the rules you need to, to do this. And the page numbers in these big blue boxes. And I think the rule book is like 60 pages. Mm-hmm. But they'll have one page will be a full page color photo of an example and then the next page will be the rules and it may have 10 sentences on it with all kinds of different examples so it's it's not that many rules it's just really well written and very clearly written 
to be able to digest the game. So jumping back, because we're on this subject, the uh, the intro thing that Volko put out about Nevsky a few weeks ago, what was yeah. that? That was that was basically simulating the first levy, the first which lords do I put on the map, which lords do I act levy, which lords do I activate, um, and how do I spend those points, where do I, I put them and all that stuff. So basically it gets you into the action sequence of the game mm-hmm. immediately so you can see how it plays, and then you can start worrying about the levy stuff because when you activate lords is just super important because you can lose them for the rest of the game if you don't playing right okay so it wasn't learn to play by scenario no okay no no. it was here's how you can set up the game real quick and just dive in and get going okay this plays very well solo the solo you have like action tables so once it passes to the dummy player uh you consult an action player and there's like there's a whole table of actions and sometimes an action like passing will end your turn otherwise an action you can take as many times as you want um, but there's opportunities for the other side to seize the initiative. And so it tells you how to seize the initiative for the other side. The actions are fun. It's a cool naval game. It's got this really, I mean, talked about like these vector lines that are basically, you don't know where the enemy ships are. They're just somewhere along this line and until they make contact or then you get like a, not identification marker, uh, intel marker. Then you really don't know where they're at and mm-hmm. you kind of like whittle them down to, to find them. Uh, it's fun. I would really like to play it two people, but everything I've so- seen so far, this is a really innovative both war game with these vector lines and, and the actions you're taking. You basically have a menu of actions you can take, so it's an action selection game. Um, and then also just in rule book design, it's really streamlined. It's really easy to follow. It's really easy to understand. Do not sleep on this when it gets reprinted. No, definitely not. Yeah, I missed out on it the first time. So Now... It made me really want to play his Skies Above the Reich, which I still haven't done. Oh, okay. I haven't played any of those. I don't own any of those, so yeah. So there you go. That's Atlantic Chase GMT Games by Jeremy White. It's very good. Nice. All right, we have another guest, Fred Serval, checking in. Hi, I'm Fred Serval, a board game designer and host of the YouTube show Homo Dance. I've been invited by Matt here to talk about what was, for me, the best of 2021 in Wargaming. Weirdly enough, I mostly played all the games this year, uh, but I still have a few highlights for 2021. The first one is a game in the intro-level category that I completely fell in love with uh, called 300 Earth and Water. The game was originally published uh, in Japan in 2018 uh, and got a new revised edition from NAS Publishing this year. It's a beautiful little game about the Greco-Persian Wars of the first half of the 5th century BC. My second highlight is the game Ambon, Burning Sun and Little Seagulls. Behind this poetic title is an interesting war game that's very reminiscent of the classic Hex Encounter style. It's a design from a new Spanish publisher called Snafu, uh, and the game covers a little-known Japanese amphibious offensive that happened in 42 in the Maluku Islands. And finally, this year, I also had the opportunity to play a lot more face-to-face, mostly thanks to my local wargame club in London called Cardboard Emperors. I can stress uh, enough how thankful I am uh, that there is such an organization where I live, uh, and how much I respect people who spend their time making this possible. So if you're in London, come join us. Uh, It's a very nice little group. And I think that's it for me. Uh, Thanks for the invite, guys. I like the the wargame group love and shout-out. Yeah. Because... I, I really want to get Kansas City up and running 
again next year. I know you guys have been doing well with St. Louis, getting everyone back together. I wouldn't so. say well, but we're we're doing. Where it's, it's you're a, doing. It's a that's, slow start. Yeah. Well, like tomorrow, I think I think we'll probably have six tomorrow. What I've realized is like I just can't do the like let's play this massive fleet scenario. Yeah. What I need to do with my working group is just set up set up the day, let the other people play the big media stuff, and play an Atlantic Chase scenario. Yeah. And then go home and be with the kiddo. Yeah. So thank you, Fred. You made me with Miss. Wow, I really haven't even been drinking that much. Thank you, Fred. You have made me miss my war game group. <laughs> All right, let's move a little more modern. We're going post World War II. Post World War II. That's uh, like everything pretty, from that's from pretty much yeah. forty late forty five until future stuff, right? No, well, <laughs> um, I th- it's, yeah, it's still sure. history on the table. So yeah, right. Just excluding far future stuff. Yeah. No sci-fi here. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll leave the uh, future sci-fi stuff out. Um, yeah, my first one on there is just barely past World War II, but OCS Korea. Um, I went into this year knowing that OCS was like on my big bucket list of, of systems to get into and play. Um, started end of last year when I was playing Hux- Hungarian Rhapsody, but um, for a couple months this summer... OCS Korea was my big game that I played a lot of, and I really, really love and appreciate that game. So um, that's that's my number one on my list here. Yeah, you know, it's funny as I just played this last weekend, and it was so great to get back to. Mm-hmm. We did not, we are intending to do, um, buddy Zach and I are intending to do the full shebang, all 100 and whatever turns. <laughs> I was like, maybe we should do... Uh, a refresh for me. Yeah. I needed it. It had been two years since I played OCS, and I'm really glad we did. It's great. It's a great OCS entry. Yeah. If you want a small to medium scenario that was a lot of fun, I know you're, I saw you're playing Chosen Reservoir, but uh, Ripper is a good one, too. It's it's the allies trying to retake Seoul. That was a good one. That would be, that would be good. The problem with Chosen Reservoir is... It's already hard enough for the communists to do what they need to do, but they're also full-size divisions, so you have to pay a ton of supply to attack with them. Yeah, you do. And it's like, oh, these marines almost have the same strength, and they're only regimental size. Yep. All right. The next two Sweden. they get lots of air power, too. (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit. A little bit. So our next entries... We, we we have two crossovers to round out this category. I was going to add real quick that we have no 2021 entries for post-World War II yeah. era. I guess we didn't get a next war game this year? No, no. last one to come out was Vietnam, and that was last year. Yeah, that made our last year's list, mm-hmm. and I didn't get any of the new ones onto the table. So what we did play was Labyrinth from GMT Games, designed by Volko Runke. Mm-hmm. Second appearance. What do you mean second the appearance? Third shadow for Volko. Oh, yeah, and yeah, the third yeah. game of his. Yeah, engine. absolutely. Yeah, that was featured by us sometime earlier this year. Well, we both enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, that's another one that I can actually, it, along with uh, Imperial Struggle, that I can actually even play that one with my wife. She's up for that one. So, and When I put this on the list, some people may be surprised or not. Um, here's what I thought about. The Every War Game Ever list is completely objective. But in all reality, it's very subjective. And when I thought about just best games, Labyrinth is a masterfully crafted game. Mm -hmm. Just like Twilight Struggle is. And although it may not be my taste, where I want to fight things out and I, I don't... 
I understand that this isn't exactly how you can't always focus on the, the set piece battles and that type of thing that there's all this other stuff you have to worry about with, uh, you know, perception in the world and, uh, terror cells and, and just all the different things you worry about in labyrinth. That's the reality. And some people really will get that. So the reason it still made the list, even though it's not my favorite is I think it's a masterfully designed game and that's why it's on there for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. Um, I enjoy playing it. I would be and like, I, I think I'd be more, more likely to play that with either my wife or at a game day, uh, than I would for someone that, you know, wanted to dive into something deeper like OCS or BCS or any GCACW, any of those. Sure. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if, if I was going to like, if someone said, Hey, let's play Imperial struggle labyrinth or twilight struggle, it would be in that order for me. Although Imperial struggle is really the outlier there. It doesn't actually have that many similarities. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how useful that little tidbit is, but there you go. <laughs> All right. Another crossover masterfully designed and the type of war game I'm looking for. Right. I, this one is like the best of both worlds. It is. You, you can do it. You go ahead. Legion war games, Dian Bien Phu, the final gamble designed by Kim Kanger. It's yeah, so good. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's about the uh, small little battle that took place that basically kicked the French out of Vietnam once and for all and started the Vietnam war for the U S for all intents and purposes. Um, it's, it's a game about um, uh, an army that's under siege and surrounded and being, you know, s- losing inches or feet of ground every single day they're trying to airdrop in supplies but that becomes less and less effective over time uh everything about the theme and the feel of this game is spot on which yeah which is high for you and i i mean we're both big on how does this game make you feel when you're playing it not I will argue this is not the first time we're going to hear about this game tonight <laughs> um, i think what you said was very well said and I think the only thing I have to add to it is, yeah, it's about an army under siege, but both sides have very interesting decisions to make. Oh, yeah. Um, which, you know, we kind of talked about with our dens, and there's there's all kinds of games like that. Games where one side gets their teeth kicked in <laughs> can be hard to make it fun for both players, especially if they're massive, like Stalingrad 42. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's rough for the Russians for a long time. I still like it a lot, but this is fantastic for all players involved, in my opinion. Yep. Yeah, we've had that conversation before, particularly about Eastern Front. It's hard to find yeah. a balanced Eastern Front game because at the beginning it's all German and the end it's all Russian. So, <laughs> I, I like it. I we will talk about this later this episode. All right, let's hear from our very good friend Mitchell Land. I know that guy. Hello, History on the Table podcast listeners. Just a short aside, you know, we all like to make words out of acronyms i'm just going to point out that h-o-t-t-p just comes out as hot p so take that for for whatever it's worth so matt and rich asked me this is mitch land sorry to uh talk about my favorite game in 2021 so i told matt when he first approached me i'm like well that would require me to remember what i did in 2021 i'm sure it was a strange year for a lot of people as i started to think back i'm like well was it the multiplayer Empires in Arms game, which was fantastic? 
the multiplayer Greyhawk Wars game, which was fantastic? Or was it the I-70 showdown over Sword of Rome, which <clears throat> I won, which makes it fantastic. Uh, however, you know, the only guidance he really gave was new to me in 2021. So then I got to thinking, well, what was new to me that I played? And it was kind of a close-run toss-up between Avalon Hills, Siege of Jerusalem, and uh, Strategy and Tactics, Sea Lords on the Mekong Delta. And I think I'm going to have to lean towards Sea Lords on the Mekong Delta. It hits all the buttons for me, right? Vietnam, uh, interesting little system. Not that Siege of Jerusalem isn't an interesting little system, uh, but there's a there's a really neat little game in there that's kind of kind of cool to parse and, and figure out. So I'd have to I'd have to give it that as an award. Although it is an old game, uh, so it was not published in 2021, but it was new to me in 2021. I didn't acquire it, but I played it for the first time uh, in 2021. If we were going to talk about New games published in 2020, 2021. I think we're going to go with uh, Thunder at Dawn, the Battle of Wilson's Creek. It's just down the road for me. I've walked the ground, and I'm really looking forward to getting that opposed play in. So that's it. I hope you're enjoying listening to the podcast. Take care. To no one's surprise, Mitch, among other things, picked a Vietnam War game. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and something about hot pee. <laughs> all right we're not done yet folks we're, we've moved into now the future. we're going to future now or we're going to the far future, future or just completely made up fantasy either way yeah or or the like really far back yeah or i guess if you're playing Ancient Star Wars, history like, really when, we had, when we were fighting wars against trolls and goblins that's right yeah this is our sci-fi fantasy category folks yeah, for me, um, I, I really only had one that I could put on this list, but it was a fun game, uh, Divine Right. We didn't go into it in detail, but I did talk about it a little bit. It's a, a another old game. It's a TSR game from early 80s, I think. Um, but it is a war game. I mean, it's Hex Encounter, and it's a multiplayer war game where you you know try to build up armies and send ambassadors over to try to get guys on your side and kick the crap out of everybody else and try to end up with the most victory points. Have you uh, have you looked into that? So since we talked into it, I looked into this game some more. Yeah. Have you looked into like the ownership disputes about it? it all I or not ownership disputes? I'm sorry, there are no disputes. Yeah. It's very clear who it's owned by. Right. It's the owner that is the issue. Yes, he is the issue, and and I think um, I think a guy even tried to buy it off of him at one point, and yeah, it it became like a turned into a political argument or something like that so <laughs> yeah i mean if you're really curious about it you can just go to the wikipedia entry for divine right and you can find out who owns the game now <laughs> but you probably don't want to yeah we've already talked about nazis once today and when we did our world war ii section so <laughs> that's right uh so this is a little bit of a cheat but it's it's a full new version of the game um, actually, and I had played it before 2021, but bear with me because it's high frontier for all. Yeah. Iron Game Design, Phil, Un Phil Eklund, Justin Gray, John Monker, and Dom Rougier, I believe. I think he's French. Could be wrong. Could be right. <laughs> uh, high frontier for all is the, is the space game, not war game, just space exploration game. Yeah. It, it uh, I've played this twice. I played the third edition and I played the fourth edition this year. Um, 
and both times it just told amazing stories and I'm not even really playing well I'm not optimizing my game I'm not a master or anything but it's like I am doing cool shit and whether that cool shit is oh I just you know stranded someone on Venus and can't really do anything until I send a rescue mission to get them home or like oh yeah I set up this really cool refinery and I'm just like harvesting this moon and doing all this stuff and I'm just in my own little space world and yeah sure someone's running away with the game but I'm enjoying blasting rockets off and figuring out doing the math like oh, how much fuel do I need to take but I really need to send this reactor or whatever I'm sitting up there with me super good you you need to play this rich i think i do i i didn't even really watch you guys play it like not oh i didn't play it at historic fest i i was someone was playing at historic they did they did okay yeah but but i I will say even though i i wasn't watching them play like enough to even really get a feel for the game i will say it is one of the best looking games on the table that well period i mean it just it looks amazing on the table and People may think I'm not. This is a very complex game. Yeah. But the nuts and bolts, this is another example of okay, mechanically, there's nothing hard. It's putting all those pieces together and deciding what to do because there's no real like hand holding. Like, you should really bring 20, 20 tanks of water with you or anything like that. <laughs> it's like, well, determine how many you want to take with you and hope that's enough for the return voyage. Yeah. Looks uh, good. It's fantastic. Looks interesting. I definitely want to play this. Let's let's tone it down a little bit in terms of scale, and let's talk magazine and small board games. Yeah, I got a couple. Um, one, I, I talk a lot about coffee shop games from time to time, and I literally played this game at a coffee shop. I had a friend come in town, and he's like, hey, you want to go get some coffee and play a game? I'm like, yes. So I've had the game on my shelf for a while. It's a Hollenspiel game, uh, Table Battles. It's got lots of expansions. I've just got the base version, never really got around to playing it with another person i i just played it solitaire so they knew how to play and it's it's exactly as advertised it's it's a game that you throw it on the table you roll some dice it's not heavy strategy it's not deep or anything like that but it's a fun game to play over a cup of coffee yeah i played the dinosaur version yeah. and i okay. have gettysburg of this version okay um so it's fun it's it's just, uh, you know, chuck dice and hope you get the hits you need to hit. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, there'll be little things that break the rules. But yeah, just enough strategy to, you know, to make it an actual decision making process. It's not purely dice rolling. And it's I'm going to attack this guy because then I can stop him from attacking or whatever. But yeah, perfect coffee shop game. Awesome. Uh, so we've already mentioned it. Uh, this is the only double entry on this list, excluding what our best of 2021 will be. That's Buffalo Wings. It's a magazine game. I wish it wasn't a magazine game because I want. I have since made copies of the pages of the aircraft cards, but like the aircraft cards you need are in the magazine. And it's just a lot of flipping back and forth, so I wish they had punched those out. But it's a magazine game, and it's great. Mm-hmm. So Buffalo Wings yeah. makes another appearance. I had one other. It was an actual magazine game. It was called uh, Battle for Galicia. It's a, a World War One game. Um, I didn't throw it in that section, honestly, because it just it's not a great game. It's fine. Um, there's almost no theme to it or anything. It's it's hex encounter and you move up some guys and you attack and you roll. But there was it was okay. I would play it again, like if I was you know just as a time killer game. But I can't ever see myself going. Ooh, I want to play that game. You know, I told myself I was going to play the Chance of Gaming postcard game this year. Oh, yeah. I haven't played it myself, so. (laughs) And then get it on the list as a default, which sounds a little bit like what Battle for Galicia is. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically what it is. I mean, it's bigger than that. It's 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 one 
one full size map. It's probably 22 by 34. Um, it's fine. It's, it's just nothing special. Well, let's hear from the master of war game magazines. Yeah. Mark Johnson from war games to go. Hi guys. This is Mark Johnson of the war games to go podcast, giving my little two bits about the, uh, past year 2021 it was a weird year for me like it was for probably everyone um but one thing that was uh not as weird as normal is normally i feel like i play you know oddball out of print small format the games that no one else seems to know or remember or play along with me so it was a real unusual treat that one of the games i played and enjoyed this year was something that was in the conversation in the dialogue and that was Battle for Kursk, The Tigers Are Burning, 1943. Designed by Trevor Bender and published by RBM Studio in C3i Magazine and then as a standalone deluxe edition. So probably everyone knows this one, you know, Eastern Front. Uh, but what I really liked about it was just the straightforwardness of it. And that's a word I know I hear um, uh, you guys use sometimes. And I'm not sure if you mean it in a positive or negative way. But for me, that's a good thing. Uh, for sure, it's a good thing. And I liked the no stacking. I like the excellent, gra outstanding graphic design of the whole thing. I like the traditional uh, hex encounter mechanics, zones of control, and, and everything else with some cool new little chrome stuff. Or maybe chrome's not even the right word. It's just some, um, the, uh, um, now I forget, what, what do you call it? The, uh, the stance or the preparation that you do, uh, posture, that's what it's called in the game. The posture that you pick for each side, whether you're building or executing an attack, not to mention, of course, the other features of the Eastern Front, like the weather and things like that, uh, and the incredible meat grinder slog fest that goes on, meant that this was a pretty, um, in some ways, easy to digest game that was super fun for me, and like I say, super fun to actually be playing something that everyone else was playing for a change. Thanks for the podcast, and here's to listening in 2022. Thanks. All right. have, you, have you played Battle for Kursk? have not no i don't play many magazine games and and i'm gonna try to change that next year yeah because i you know some obviously some of the c3i games are really good yeah and there are obviously good operation pegasus is a magazine game um yeah i'm almost certain it was yeah i no, i've got a box for it it wasn't a magazine game yeah actual magazine games i just don't play many um i've got a few ziploc games which are you know not far off from magazine games as far as size and scope and everything Sometimes, but no actual magazine games usually. Well, in Mark's most recent podcast episode, he talked about Battle for Kursk. Yeah. What really interested me about this game, yeah, it may be straightforward, but it's got like this different posturing with how your what your units can do based off their posture, and it, it just sounded fun. And then he mentioned something like how Battle for Kursk is like, you know, everyone does Battle for Kursk. I've never played a Kursk game. <sighs> yeah, I can't say that I've played a Kursk specific game. Right. right. I, yeah, I guess yeah. I should preface that. I probably have played something. Yeah, no, I'm agreeing with you. So not a heavily game topic for me. So I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah. All right. It's it's time. All right. It's time for the best game of 2021. All the games are sitting on the edge of their seat as the camera pans into their faces, showing their nervous excitement. Well. Before we do that, actually, we have some listener entries. So we did a giveaway 
And I think before we reveal our games of the year, we should draw a prize for a giveaway. But one of the ways people could enter is they could retweet our last episode and provide us with um, their favorite game of the year. And I had a couple of people reach out and said that they don't do Twitter, which I understand. And so um, we were able to get their entry in anyways. There are other ways to find us. That's right. Uh, so Atlantic Chase got mentioned a couple different times. One was someone saying if they could get Atlantic Chase yeah. as Bo, if he could get it, that would be it. Another individual mentioned Atlantic Chase. Successor's 4th Edition, which did you play that or did you play 3rd Edition? I think I played 3rd. Okay. But I don't know how much difference there is, but yeah. There was, that was Bryant. Bryant said NATO, the Cold War goes hot. That was a Compass game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I know I'm skeptical of. It. of. I played it right because same, <laughs> right? Because Compass, sure. And then Wild Bill at Historic Face, at Historic Fest played Dark Summer, which looked pretty good on the table. I'm just also cautious about the Dark series of games, Dark Summer. Yeah, Dark Sands, I, so. I have that one, and I played it a little bit, not enough to even say how much I like it. Um, but I would say from what little experience I have it, Dark Summer. Oh, wait, Dark Summer is the Normandy one, isn't it? I was thinking of Dark Valley as the Eastern Front one. Yes, right, right. Okay, Dark Summer, I actually playtested that one a little bit. Well, technically a friend was the playtester and I playtested with him. Um, and it was it was fine. Uh, we had a couple little issues with like some of the victory conditions, but the game itself seemed fine. Um, yeah, for, for a Normandy game. Cool. My my problem with Normandy games in general is that they usually just kind of hand wave the beach landings, and I think that's the most interesting part. So sure, sure. Well, I don't know how much there's to do for the Germans on beach landing. This is the problem. Yeah, and I get that, but even so, this, to me, that's that's like the most one of the most interesting kind of parts. So it's kind of important. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, and then so. Jason B says Pacific War by Victory Games now by GMT Games. I don't think that counts. <laughs> <laughs> that one just came out this year, right? <laughs> it's not even out yet. Uh, you're, oh, you're talking about the 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 new the Pacific? big one? Yeah, oh yeah, that's not. Yeah. Oh, but, but the old one. I assume he's talking about that one. So yeah, he said Pacific War by Victory Games yeah. now by GMT Games. Yeah. So he's referencing the original. Yeah, I don't think he can count that one. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> Treb said Blue Water Navy. Okay. Which I've got to play. That was not a 2021 game, no. but we'll let it fly. Uh, Red Storm. Yep. And Flying Colors were mentioned. So, okay. Uh, I Wild mean, new Bill to them, s- so. Red Storm, right, excellent game. Yeah, love it. I need to play Wild Bill somewhere. said his favorite game of the year was... Dark Summer was his favorite 2021 game, but his favorite was U.S. Civil War. So, bonus points for Bill. <laughs> and then Dr. Don, uh, Dr. Grognard. Yeah said bayonets and tomahawks oh cool which is pretty cool i played some next door with him this week nice 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 nice. he seemed to really like it mm-hmm. um let's let's pick a winner before we do our games shall we all right so i've got to i've got a rain what oh oh for the listeners we're picking a listener now yeah yeah i'm gonna jump ahead a little bit nice. just uh, okay. since we went through their picks all right so i'm gonna i have the random number generator up just using googles and i'm gonna hit it three times okay wait why are you doing and it three I- times you're gonna average them or what no, I'm just going to click it three times. I don't know. I feel three times is the way to go. But what if someone's number comes up the first time? They're going to feel cheated. You, you want me to click it? You want me to click it once? <laughs> How do you want me to do it? I think you should click it once. Okay. I, I will click it once. Here we go. 
That didn't register. Oh, that's why you have to click it a third time. I guess so. Okay. Well, I tried to move my mouse to the mic, and it didn't work. All right. I'm on it. I'm lifting my mouse up. 14. Who is that? Jeffrey Barker. Jeffrey Barker. Congrats, Jeffrey. What was I his game of the year? A... He didn't give one. No. Oh. That's all right. He still wins. <laughs> he he did it. He did it. He entered in the uh, iTunes. It, it was his ah, iTunes okay. entry that okay. got him the cool. Uh, got him the win. So congratulations, Jeffrey. Yeah. Thank you for your iTunes review. I'll send you a message on Discord. Yeah. Miniature market gift card. Is that what you're doing? It is. Asmo Day gift card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Spend that money before that buyout goes through. Before the prices go up. Hopefully, it won't affect the war game prices. It'll probably just affect Asmo Day prices, maybe. All right, so for us, Rich, here are the eligible games. Yeah. And this is uh, roughly chronological in the order we talked about them. Right. Bayonets and Tomahawks. Drumroll. GMT Games. Hood Strikes North. Ultimate Publishing. Atlantic Chase. GMT Games. Buffalo Wings. Against the Odds. And then Panthers Last Stand. Multi-Man Publishing. Yes. Now, four of the five of those are mine. <laughs> so do you want to just go ahead and give you Yeah, yours? so of of the five, the one that I have played, and I, I'm pretty sure that if I played all five, the answer would be the same. But for me, it's Panzer's Last Stand. That game is just so good. Yeah, I... So Panzer's Last Stand is thing. my best game of 2021. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. I, I'm still a little bit torn. Let me see if uh, I can guess. I'm going to guess on yours. Okay. So if you say Do it, it came down to two, I'm going to guess Atlantic Chase or, or Buffalo Wings, and I'm going to guess you went with Atlantic Chase. The wrong two. It's Atlantic Chase and Bayonets and Tomahawks. Wow. I thought I yeah. knew you liked B&T, but I didn't know you liked it that much. So I pulled B&T back out. I didn't play it again, but I pulled everything out and just took a look at it. And just component-wise, it's just so cool. Okay. That That being said... Atlantic Chase is my game of the year just for they're doing some really cool things with rule books and it's just if if they can make that the way to learn games as as effective as that was then I'm on board for it. Now others may try and it may not be as effective but that's really cool. All that being said there I mean he's also just doing new things with war games and I I just got to applaud that. And they're they're uh they're not completely gimmicky things. That's what I want to... I, I shouldn't throw shade, but I'm going to. You know, flipping a counter or uh, uh, a counter up in the air to determine its quality <laughs> is, is kind of gimmicky. <laughs> and that doesn't do much for me. I like the idea that, yeah, we don't know if how the quality of the troop until they actually fight in battle. But, like, going through this exercise of flipping counters in the air, that's not the type of innovation I'm looking for. Yeah. This is innovation that is good for war game design. Nice. So Atlantic Chase, my war game of 2021. Excellent. Good choice. Yeah, you too. I I mean, I don't know how many episodes in a row I'm going to say I really need to play Panzer's Last Stand, but <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it. Well, I'll keep saying I need uh, to get Atlantic Chase. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see which yeah, we'll see which one <laughs> happens first. Who gives first? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I had a couple expansions, and I see you have none. Well, so. I did play uh, your first one, uh, Last 100 Yards, Airborne Over Europe. I did play that once, so I guess I could oh, I could good. be in on that one. But I think that's the only expansion I played this year, and I did not acquire any expansions 
except for Twilight Imperium, which doesn't count. Yeah, um, I bought some Eurogame expansions. But this is strictly Wargame yeah. expansions or modules. Cheating a little. Because. Oh, so I guess ASL, never... that would count. Because, yeah. Right, right. And that's how you get the ASL stuff in yeah. there. So, Last 100 Yards, Volume 2, Airborne Over Europe, GMT Games, Mike Denson. This is just, I'm very excited for Solomon Islands. And then after that, we get the Russians, which are going to be bonkers, just like the Japanese are. This is more a little bit more of the same, but it's just more yeah. good stuff I, from Mike. I, I was going to say the exact same thing. I was going to say it's more of the same, but that's not a bad thing. Um, right. I'm hoping to see something different in Solomon Islands, but for Airborne, it was more of the same. Yep. And there will be different things. I... I What's interesting to me is like, and we've talked about this a little bit, last hundred yards for some reason gets overshadowed so easily. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason for that. Like fighting formations is a very good game, but it gets overshadowed a lot, but I can see why it does. Yeah. I mean, it just takes ASL and ATS are the heavy hitters. I mean, and right. And people have so much, especially in ASL, not so much ATS, but that one too. Um, People have so much invested already that, it's almost like attacking them personally if something else good comes out. Like for an ASL or to say that last hundred yards is a good game, it's like, well, but I've got a thousand dollar or two thousand or ten thousand dollars invested in this. That can't be listed in the same category. Well, what I would tell that ASL player is that you can and I do own both. They offer different <laughs> enough experience. They're both Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Also, I say that as an ASL player. Last 100 yards plays so much faster than any of the others. Right. The, speaking of ASL, my other my other of the year is way back when, I've talked about this, Forgotten War Korea 1950-1953, ASL, it, it is not a hassle, um, but it is a module for ASL from Ultimate Publishing. Andrew Hershey, Kenneth P. Katz, Mike Reed, Pete Dolan, and hailing from Kansas City himself, Paul Works. Oh, I didn't know he was a KC guy. Cool. Oh, yeah. Um, I finally got to play this. This is what convinced me to finally get into ASL. Yeah. And it, I only played one scenario, it delivered. And I, now that um, Rising Sun is out, I can't wait to do more face-to-face Korea War modules. Yeah. And I did pick up some ASL modules this year. I got Rising Sun. I got, uh, I think I got For King and Country. Those might be yep. the only two I picked up this year. Those are the two big ones that came out. Yeah is that that is our last war game. But we're not done talking about games yet, folks. Nope. Because we've got Euro games. Euro games. Non-war games. Because there's or other games, games out there. Believe it or not, there are other good games besides war games. There are some very good games. This is actually tough for me to narrow down to three. I had a couple uh, that were big highlights for me. So, But I think one of yours I had already played before. So, Yes. Uh, but I'll start with the one that I really gushed about a few episodes ago, and that's Magic the Gathering <laughs> yeah. Commander, Elder Dragon Highlander. Still love it. Just don't get the opportunities to play as much as I want because you need four people, and I don't want to play with randos online, but it's just so fun. And I know nothing about this game, but you've talked it up so much that I just want to play it with you. Yeah, and that's, you know what, next time we're together in the same spot, it's just like we need 30 minutes at the end of our game session to just yeah. uh, bring four decks and we'll just do it. Yeah. Uh, for me, the first one on my list is kind of a surprise to me, uh, Pandemic Fall of Rome, which I've played the Pandemic games. I've played a few of them. I've played, uh, you know, the Legacy games, the Basic game. I've played the Cthulhu game, and I like them. Um, they're all the Legacy games I really liked for the experience, but the rest of them just, 
like when I played the Cthulhu game, it's like, yeah, this is just kind of like Pandemic and it's fine. It's a, you know, um, it's a good game to play with the kids. But um, we played Fall of Rome recently and it was it was a step above. I really enjoyed it. So I put it on my list. Good. Good. good, good. I've considered it a few times, but I have to remind myself that I don't like Pandemic. <laughs> and even though it may be a little bit different and a step above, I just yeah. step away. Uh, so the one you alluded to earlier that you had already played before 2021 new to me was PAX Premier worldly good games, cold worldly. So good. Absolutely. Tableau builder, backstabbing, negotiating, historical flavor, uh, kind of beautiful uh, components. setting. Amazing components. I bought a copy. Yeah. Um, so that's, I own it now. I'm going to hopefully teach it to my brother over the holiday season. Cause I think he'll really like the tableau building aspect uh-huh. and the hand management. It's good. It's yeah. good. It's good. It's good. It lived up to the hype. I think like I, I saw so many other people playing and talking about it that I'm just like, nah, I don't want to play that game. Everyone else is playing. It. And then I did and it, it delivered. Mm-hmm. Then the last one on the list. I mean, it's the uh, <laughs> game to box size comparison. This might be the, the all time world championship for this game. Um, in- yeah. Innovation. It's a small deck of cards. That's like a hundred cards or so. And it's just got so much in there. So much fun to play with a tiny deck of cards. My family loves it. Other war gamers I know that love it. It's just absolutely a fun game. And it's got all these expansions that I have no desire to even look at <laughs> because the what's in there already is already perfect for like 17 bucks. So I've only played with an expansion once and it was pretty fun. It was pretty bonkers. Yeah. But I'm right there with you. Like the base game is plenty. Uh, so this is crossover for Rich and I. Um, designed by Asmani Game or published by Asmani Games. It's a Carl Chudik design, which Carl Chudik is just great with this card manipulation. This is a tableau builder, um, way different than Pax Premier, but you know, the rules very simple with what you can do on your turn, and it's just the craziness, but strategic craziness that happens on the cards as you play the game. Each game plays a little bit different. I think it's interesting that groups develop their own meta. Like, ores in our meta is, <laughs> you know, like the the, the card yeah. to beat. You start collecting castles early because you know ores might be out there. Ores is coming. And then uh, when you collect t- castles, gunpowder comes up and they start destroying all your castles, which I just love. Including board game arena plays. Yeah. How many times do you think you played this this year? Uh, including BGA, probably 50. Yeah, that's kind of what I yeah. was thinking. Yeah, I, I could probably pull up the BGA stats. Maybe I should have, or people really don't care, so that's fine. Uh, but yeah, this is obviously my most played game. I, I take that back. Lost Cities was my most played game. I played way too much of the <laughs> game arena this year. But this uh, is so good. Yeah. And speaking of innovation. I played my first for- game ever with this guy. And you and Duck. <laughs> this is Jason from Advanced After Combat, given the uh, you know tops of 2021. Mac gave me shit last year, but you know I'm still gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give it everything. You don't need just one thing. Games. I think games are probably what people are really here to hear about. Uh, innovation was really the game of the year for me. Innovation's a game I've liked for a really long time, but kind of rediscovered this year at SwankyCon. Um, just fantastic. It's chaotic. Um, it can be strategic. You can kind of plan ahead once you know the cards. Um, I played 70-something games of this between real life and board game arena. 
Um, I like it all player counts, unlike a lot of people. I like the chaos, uh, especially on Board Game Arena. Uh, the, you know, if you get beat up on it, it goes quickly. You're taking a couple turns a day. It's, it's fantastic. Through the Ages is another game I rediscovered this year. It's kind of that abstract civilization building. Uh, it's a game I used to play quite a bit uh, in, an, in an online implementation, uh, but rediscovered it on Board Game Arena. have two games going constantly of that. Uh, it's just absolutely wonderful. Uh, again, kind of chaotic. Um, you can kind of mess with people. Um, a lot of people I get wouldn't like the abstract nature of it, but to, but to me, I, I like that. I like to kind of focus on my tableau, not really have to worry about dudes on a map or troops on a map, whatever. Um, 18XX game of the year for me is 1882. Um, there are better 18XX games out there and probably ones that I would recommend more than 1882, but for me, 1882 was just, just a great little game. It's quick. Um, it's very weird. It, it does some different things, um, but I really like it. Um, you can kind of get caught out, which I really like. Um, and it just it just takes that 1830 mold and just tweaks it in a way that, that for me is, is really great. On the war game front, Atlantic Chase, kind of the new hotness, um, is absolutely fantastic. It's very weird, very different, um, but it does what it does very well. Uh, and the rulebook is fantastic. The rulebook kind of walks you through and is cross-referenced. Um, it has the, um, you know, like tutorial scenarios that, that kind of walk you through um, and, and teach you these weird concepts that it's doing. Um, and I, the, the, the vector path of both sides uh, is just, just, just great. Um, it, I've said it before, but it, it does what it does. It does what it sets out to do just so incredibly well. And I mentioned in the books section, um, this year was the year of the Civil War for me. My Civil War game of choice, uh, while I love Blind Swords, uh, is, and it's certainly not Battle Hymn, is uh, Great Campaigns of the American Civil War. This year I got a chance to play Battle Above the Clouds, all green alike out of the Stonewall Jackson's two box. Here come the rebels out of the roads to Gettysburg two box and playing uh, Atlanta is ours now. GCACW plays well solo. Uh, it plays well, you know, one-on-one -on -one, and it plays well in teams if you're playing a bigger scenario. Absolutely fantastic. My Civil War game of choice. Uh, and that's, that's my games this year. Like I said, Jason will be back, but uh, yeah, innovation it's it's a crowd favorite. Mm -hmm. So our last game category is 18xx in train games. And you know what, Rich? I don't have one this year. So I have a lot of 18xx games that I played for the first time this year because of 18xx.games. Um, and a couple, I, I guess if I want to pick a couple that really kind of stood out. Um, I enjoyed 18 mechs, which I now uh -huh. have a copy of, but I, I have only played it online. Um, I like 1870. That seems to be pretty good. Um, there are some that I were just too much for me. Like we played <laughs> 1817, which was too much for me. Uh, at least in the, when we were trying to play it with 12 players. So, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> no others. I, I mean, that. there's some others that I, I obviously I enjoyed a lot of them. Um, nothing else really jumps out at me. I think 18 mechs is probably the 
the 18xx game that I played for the first time this year and that I enjoyed the most. 18x is popular with a lot of people. For some reason, it just doesn't. I don't know why it doesn't click for me. Yeah, um, it's really it's a popular entry. Um, the only new ones I played were 18CZ in 1861, 1867. I wasn't crazy about 18CZ. And 67, I've only played one game of and really need to play it more so it wouldn't be eligible for future lists. I do like it. Uh, I just don't know if it's worth... I mean, I'm talking about it, but I don't know if it's yeah. worth calling it a best. I will say also, um, and it's not my favorite game, but it's very high up on the list just because I actually played it with my family. We played 18 AL a couple weeks ago on the table. I like AL. I, yeah. I like AL a lot, actually, for being an intro game. Yeah. But, I mean, the fact that they were willing to play it, and my youngest one had did was not interested in it, but my, my middle child and my wife both thought it was a lot of fun. So I think um, we'll probably play that some more so they can get the mechanics better and then hop into some of the other ones as well. Nice. Yeah. And then it's not an 18xx game, but it is a train game. So my, my whole goal this year was to get them to play an 18xx game which like i said we finally did um they're big ticket to ride fans so i was like well what's in between ticket to ride and 18xx and i got a copy of irish gauge so it's got stock buying um but it it feels a little more like ticket to ride where it's mostly about the routes but it does have stocks in it as well so we played that and enjoyed it um i think that's if if for whatever reason your family you're trying to get them from Ticket to Ride into 18xx, I would definitely go with uh, Irish Gauge or, or some other Cube Rail game. Yes, yeah, so I was I was gonna say that or oh, and I'm sure it's fine. I just haven't played it yet. Uh, cube Rail games are mm-hmm. can be fun. All right, uh, is that it for games? Wow, is that it already? We've only been but- going like a little over an hour. Oh, but we have plenty to talk about, folks. Excellent. But before before we do that, uh, let's hear from one of our favorite designers, Ryan Heilman. Absolutely. And he's going to talk about all the things that we didn't even consider. And um, I laughed when, like, Jason, I knew a long clip was coming, but um, I had asked, when I asked people, I said, hey, send a, you know, 30-second to 60-second clip. And Ryan, bless his heart, sent a five-minute clip. But it was all stuff I really appreciated and a discussion of things that you and I didn't talk about. So Brian is a CSR winner now, so we can give him some That's slack. right. <laughs> Rich, why don't you and I refill our drinks, and we'll let Ryan take the show away. That sounds like a good plan. Hello. My name is Ryan Heilman, the designer of Brave Little Belgium, White Eagle Defiant, and the recent Charles S. Roberts Award winner, Lucky Little Luxembourg, the epic battle of the Germans against Luxembourg, in the beginning of World War One, I. I would like to thank the host of History on the Table for inviting me here today to talk about some of the best games of 2021. Unfortunately, like many of you, I've been stuck in the house for much of 2021 due to this pandemic. Thus, I have not had a lot of chance to play that many games. But I have been keeping an eye on the war game industry, and I have some ideas on some of the best graphic design games of 2021, and that I would like to share with you today. Specifically, I would like to look at the best cards, best box covers, best rule books, and best counters of 2021. So let's get to it. Let's start with best cards. One game that really struck my attention this year was Granada, 
Last Stand of the Moors by Compass Games. The graphic designer, Yvonne Carceris, did a fabulous job on that game with all of the artwork. But I was particularly impressed by the cards in the game and the care that he took in creating these beautiful little works of art. Another game of note this year is Bayonets and Tomahawks, released by GMT Games by designer Mark Rodrigue. Mark Rodrigue was not only the designer of the game, but he also did all the graphic design for the game. I actually got a chance to see the game at the WBC in its prototype form a few years ago, and it looked amazingly similar to how the final game looks. Mark Rodriguez is truly a fantastic talent, and GMT was smart to let him go ahead and do the final design of the game. The map itself is a true beauty to behold. As for best box cover art, I felt myself drawn to some of the more abstract game covers this year. One in particular that caught my attention was Soldiers in Postman's Uniforms by DBG Games designer David Thompson. Its depiction of the monument to the postman that defended the Polish post office is quite striking and quite an interesting visual for a game cover. Another game cover that I thought was quite interesting was The Deadly Woods, The Battle of the Bulge, released by Revolution Games designer Ted Racer. Its cover depicts the forest in the Ardennes covered in snow. It is a very atmospheric an ethereal picture and one that is quite interesting for a war game cover. Now let's talk about rule books. Rule books need to be clear, concise, readable with plenty of graphics. Unfortunately, many war game rule books are not that. They are dominated by that antiquated case system and scarcely include any pictures of what's going on and how to play the game. That is a turnoff to many new gamers. Fortunately, many companies today are getting away from that model and trying to open the world of wargaming to newbies. One particular company I would like to highlight is of course GMT. GMT has done a great job with their rule books and particularly this year has done a fantastic job with the rulebook for Atlantic Chase my winner for best rulebook. Despite the rulebook being quite lengthy at over 60 pages, the writers and editors of the rulebook did a great job at removing the case system completely, providing lots of great pictures to really demonstrate how to play the game in an easy to learn fashion. Finally, counters. Counters often, for me, are very uninteresting things. Simple NATO symbols depicted on uninteresting pieces of cardboard. Of course, they don't have to be that way, and there's some companies that have done some fantastic jobs with counters. GMT's Bayonets and Tomahawks this year is one notable mention. The counters designed by Mark Rodrigue are really quite elegant, quite interesting to see, use during the game. Another series that has been doing fantastic job with the artwork and the counters is the Undaunted series of games by Osprey Games. This year they release the Undaunted Reinforcements, designed by David Thompson with artwork by Roland McDonald. 
The entire game is quite attractive, but I would like to highlight the counters, which are also quite interesting and fun. Well, that's it for me. And thank you again to the host of History on the Table for allowing me to come and share with you some of my best design games of 2021. Again, I am Ryan Heilman, and please keep an eye out in 2022 when my next game with co-designer Dave Shaw will be released. It is a continuation of the Brave Little Belgium series of games, this time taking place in a futuristic America sieged by giant bugs from below the earth. Look out for it next year. Goodbye and happy gaming. It was good stuff, Ryan, but I think that CSR award is going to your head. <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time. We still have more guest appearances yet to come. Uh, but again, thank you to all of our guests. So what I thought we'd do this year is talk about the things that just missed our list this year. So things we played that didn't, that since we played them this year, won't be eligible in future years is kind of what I was thinking. Excellent. And, and I had a few Euros in card games that I thought I'd mention. One, you and I played together, and that's Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was we both really liked. That was it. sort of on my just missed list too. I liked it, um, and what it did is it made me want to play another racing game, but maybe not that one. Yeah, um, I would play that one a lot. We only played one turn, and like when you only play one turn, it's hard to put it on a sure best of list, and it just <laughs> got edged out. Um, Super skill pinball. This is I don't from think I've heard you mention Jeff. that. Yeah, so we played it over my cabin weekend. Oh, okay. Um, Jeff Engelstein designed it. It's a roll and write pinball game. Super fun. And I fell asleep. I was reading a book at the cabin and I fell asleep. And my wife has never done this before. She picked up super skill pinball <laughs> and played a solo game. Holy of it. cow. I know. That's and like, day. I didn't even tell her to like, I was like, <laughs> Hey, why don't you play pinball? Or like, why don't you do this or something? I was like, I could hardly keep my eyes open and I fell asleep. And then there she goes playing, playing this roll and write game all by herself. Wow. Okay, this just got edged out. Like, it was really hard to decide between this and the other three. Uh Um, And that's Red Rising. This is the Stonemaier Games release of 2021. Right. I don't don't think this was a big winner for a lot of people. It's it's got a lot of buzz, though. I hear a lot of people talking about it. Or I I see it. I see people talking about it, you know. Is it a solitaire-only game? No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, is it no, solitaire friendly? Yeah, it's got a. It's got what does he call his? Yeah, solitaire. I think stuff. I see a lot of solitaire board gamers talking about it in particular. Huh. I I'm curious to see how this will do in like other best of lists, uh-huh. like will be in dice towers or anything like that. And I I my gut is no. I know Rado really liked it, but anyways, so this is based off the series of books. I read the books this year; they were fantastic. And this is just a hand management game that, weirdly enough, has some very basic similarities to one of my favorite games of all time called Arboretum, which is a really small deck game that just has really tough decisions to make. Yeah, it, I've heard it's of not, it. Haven't it's not really it. like that. It's not really like that at all. Uh-huh. But just the, like, ooh, I want to keep this card in my hand for scoring purposes, but I also need to play it and weigh in those decisions. I, this really surprised me. Huh. I think a lot of people were just like expected maybe more just because it was Stonemeyer, you know. Yeah. But 
it was a big winner for me and just misses for on uh for euro games okay cool I think the 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 number one game that just missed for me, just because I haven't played. I mean, really, all I've done is sort of get the counters out and push it around. Um, and I'm I'm that's going to change probably in the next week or two. Is Captain C, which nice. I just got. Um, but yeah, it looks fun. I mean, it looks like a a fun little ship to ship combat game that, um, you know, has some kind of that. At that, I think I mentioned next wing earlier. It's not really like X-Wing. It's not minis. It's got like little hexagonal tokens or whatever, but sort of that same feel where, you know, you, you, you plot out your movement, you try to get into position. You, you know, you, it's got some sort of almost like worker placement aspects to it where you got to put certain guys on the guns and certain guys to repel borders and stuff like that. But uh, once I play that more, I'll definitely want to talk about it more. Nice. Uh, so commands and color samurai just misses because the ancients to pre-American Revolution category is just too crowded. Uh-huh. Um, because I played Nevsky, it got edged out. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't know, is it is it my favorite Commands and Colors entry so far? Probably. Just because it has enough. I just really liked it. Yeah. That's Commands and Colors Samurai. Uh, for me, another one was All Bridges Burning, which is the latest coin game. And I actually had to look it up. I, cu- I couldn't remember if I played this end of last year or beginning of this year. And I'm pretty sure it was beginning of this year. In fact, it was the first game that I played face-to-face in a long time. I had I had a couple friends come over and we played All Bridges Burning on the table. Um, just missed the list. It's it's a coin game. It's not fantastic, but it's good. Um, it's it's an interesting coin game. So it's one that I'll hold on to mostly because it's the only three player one. So I'm going to keep my two player, my three player. And like, I think I've, I'm keeping a couple of my favorites and the other coin games I think I've sold off. Uh, uh, I hope we get to play this soon. Yeah, There's we've been, been talking about it. And can't, I bought a copy. <laughs> I can't I get it. it on the schedule. Finland. Yeah. Check. Uh, okay. One that was really hard to exclude. And it did really well in that reward game ever list. Thunder in the Ozarks, Battle for Pea Ridge. This is my first time playing it this year. Mm. And here's the deal. We already know it's not better than GCACW. It, it may be better than Hood Strikes North, but as just a whole, GCACW is better. Sure. Um, Imperial Struggle is a damn good game. And then the Civil War is like just a different version of the u.s civil war so it's i can see why it lost out to those and but really um blind swords is just fantastic good stuff um yeah check out the new stuff or check this one out and you still haven't played any cosmets have you i have not oh it's so good i think i might like that even better than the civil war ones Maybe we should play that together next year in Basel. Yeah, we you should. and I are playing Hatton and Flames next year in Basel. Oh, bi-weekly. Yeah, it's so good. It's going to be awesome, which may mean ASL may get ranked. I love ASL. <laughs> it's all right. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Some people like it. What do you know? <laughs> what do you know? Uh, all right. So we're not done with the war game talk, folks, so don't leave yet. It is the time once a year. The Every War Game Ever list is a marble statue, marble, I don't know. There you but go. You had it really right not first marble. time. Yeah. No, it is It is marble, but once a year, the heavens open up. There you and go. And we are Perfect. given a golden sculpting tool. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know our, if gold, it is in our hands gold now. would sculpt marble or not. but <laughs> Or reshape marble. I don't know. We don't know. We're not sculptors. We are merely the arbiters. That's right. 
Um, and so it's time for the every war game ever reshuffle. Here are the rules, which may need to be adjusted. Yes. These are the rules from last These year. These are the rules. Because um, if you listen to last episode, you realize what we were talking about last episode may need to be changed, which <laughs> if you didn't listen, just go listen. I'm already making this longer than it would take to just explain <laughs> what we talked about. But I'm committed to it now. All right. Each of us need to have played the game to be eligible for a correction, and it needs to move at least two spaces. I actually dropped a lot of two-space games, and so, like, I don't really care if it's, like, ooh, Songground 42 and Next War Pakistan, 787878. Like, that's not the nitty-gritty thing. It's, like, what are things that we way misjudged and are moving up five spots? Yeah. Um, should I do mine and then we can talk about your little rules, gripe? Yeah, because I'm going to break. I'm going to propose breaking the rules because I think that, that some there's an egregious uh, injury to a certain game. Okay, I propose, and I had a game that I was going to propose moving down, but I'm gonna I'm going to respect the sanctity of the rules because I was gonna bump Blitzkrieg Legend down okay. like, significantly, but. I think what's more important is DNB and food needs to move up. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And right now it's right below here. I stand, which here I stand. I know we've said this before here. I stand is in this weird position because here I stand at six is different from here. I stand at any other number. So we've sort of put it in a compromise position. Um, yeah. How, how far up you want to move it? Okay. I was thinking above next four packs in, and here's where it's get tricky because I also think Songground Forty Two is too low. Yeah. Um. So I was thinking in spot number eight. Yeah. Now I could be convinced otherwise. So spot number eight would be below. So you say above, uh, meaning uh, number eight versus number seven next four IP. So that uh, so number seven is Red Storm right now. Number eight is next war India Pakistan. Next War India Pakistan and everything above Dian Bin Fu shift down and Dian Bin Fu takes next war India Pakistan spot. All right. So it would be jumping over Here I Stand, Empire yes. of the Sun. Which I haven't played. Silver Bayonet. Yes, which I'm comfortable with. Stalingrad, which we'll put the asterisk by. And it would be jumping above Next War IP? Yes. Interesting. Here's the issue though. I I don't know about Songrad forty Songrad forty two is so good. What I do think I do think it's better than next war India Pakistan. Think it's better than Empire of the Sun though? I haven't played Empire of the Sun. Oh, I don't know. So it's gonna come down to you. It I, really will. I would say if it doesn't give a I would say maybe next war IP needs to move lower on the list rather than Dian Ben Fu. I don't know that I'd put Dian Ben Fu over Empire of the Sun. I, I could see okay. it going over here. I stand, um, but then you're only jumping one space. But then you're only jumping one spot. Yep. Yeah, I just well, here I stand. At Empire of the Sun at ten. I, I really like it there, and I'm not sure. I I don't th- I don't like Dian Bien Phu over Empire of the Sun. Okay, well then that's that's fine by me. We'll we'll stand by. I had some other suggested moves like Stalingrad, but you haven't played it. Beyond the Rhine, ticking down was more of just a result of the reshuffle of Stalingrad and Nimium Fu. Yeah. Um, oh, I had Operation Pegasus shooting way up the list. But, you know, played it. Uh, Bloody April, I had moving down five spots. Bloody April, where are we? 37. Have you played Bloody April yet? I have not. Um, oh, okay. I-, I own it. 
just out of completionist sake. <laughs> I don't think you can base it off Red Storm and Down. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure of that. Okay, then I don't have any other suggestions. Okay, um, because I got a big one then. So we're breaking the rules here. You have not. Oh, pl- wait, 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 oh, wait, wait. Okay. I said Washington's crossings potentially moving up to twenty-five, and it is currently at twenty-eight. So we'd be jumping over Pegasus. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, it, it's not better than Pegasus. Okay. All right. All right. All right, Empire in Arms, currently yeah. slotted in at spot twenty six. Okay, okay, hold on before before you go into this. <laughs> here's what you have got to sell me on this game because I've seen it played. Yes, okay. you have to sell me on it and the move because I haven't played it and we're breaking a rule. We are breaking a rule. Okay, Empire in Arms is a better game than I gave it credit for. Um. The reason I had it ranked low, I think, uh, a couple of reasons. One is because I jumped into it without having a proper appreciation of how to play the game. And I jumped into it just kind of, and I, I did some dumb things because I wanted to see what would happen. And the game punished me for doing those dumb things. And I was mad about that. <laughs> but here's the thing. That's... That shows that the game makes sense, not that it's a poor game. You see what I mean? The game punished things that should have been punished for. Now, that said, I wasn't I wasn't just being, you know, a a total jackass. I was doing what seemed right at the time. And I was playing Prussia, who is a small, underpowered country completely surrounded by Russia, France, Austria. So. Prussia jumping back and forth kind of made sense to me at the time, and the game punished me for it. Um, if the game had gone on, the, the problem is you can't look at that game from, uh, you can't look at it in the short term. It's a long, long, long game. I mean, the game is, is it's supposed to go on for, I can't remember how long, but 10 or 15 years or something like that. And we played two. You know, a game where you're looking at it is what's going to happen this month, what's going to happen next month doesn't make sense to do in a game that's supposed to go on for 15 years. You have to you have to start building ships a year ahead of time. Most of your units that you try to build are, are three months or six months to build. Um, so doing anything for a short term benefit in that game is a certain way to make the game not fun, which is where I ended up. Um, the game itself, I think is is way better than I gave it credit for. Um, even though I didn't have a great time playing it, I think the game is better than I gave it credit for. Okay. A couple questions. Uh-huh. One, what are... Well, I have three major concerns about Sure. One is length. Yes, absolutely. The fact that you can't experience a full game as it's intended, unless you have seven players, and it's going to take you two weeks. Uh, yeah, yeah, like two weeks worth of everyone would do this as their full time job. Probably, I mean, if you're going right. to play like most people play a game where you're getting together weekly, it's going to take. Oh, I mean, you're going to end up playing in real time. It's going to end up taking years. Right. So yeah, that's fine. That we knocks play. it down in the same way that here I stand gets knocked down because player count is so important. This one, player count and length 
is as on top is are both factors i okay that i think we've i think i've made my point on that mm-hmm. okay I, my I next totally concern agree. is is something you alluded to about playing prussia uh-huh is the game as fun for prussia and turkey and spain as it is for france and england and russia no and i think yeah. that's i mean that's that's a decision i think that they made because they're going for historical accuracy but to be fair i mean the guy one day was playing england he had fun in a way but he really didn't do that much i mean fair. the real movers in the game were austria and france and that's so and if you see where I'm going with this, you're you're talking about two weeks. I, again, I haven't played mm-hmm. but you're, a two week game time right. potential, where some factions don't have near as much sway or activity in the game. Right. If that game had gone on for two weeks, how many turns would it be until you were back into things? At, where so you if, left off. if I if we started over and I played no 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 not if you started over if if I had if gone from where going. I was so yes. I was basically and I, I jokingly referred to it as timeout for something like eighteen <laughs> months because okay. of the dumb things that I had done so it's going to be something like eighteen months okay which is how many turns again it's eighteen turns that's a month month turns. okay and about how many turns were you playing per day. We played over the course of that entire half week, we played 24 turns. Okay. So you were playing six turns a day. Yeah. Approximately. Give or take. Yeah. So you would, you would pretty much be effectively out of the game for three more days and then you could come back into it. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. The last thing is, is like, what are the rules like? Cause I haven't heard great things. <laughs> So they are a uh, they they look like they were written in the eighties, the early eighties. <laughs> like you're going to need a magnifying glass. Um, the thing is, they're not well written for sure. They're very in depth, but the game that they are trying to communicate is better than than. The sum of the parts, I think, is what I'm trying to say. Okay, fair enough. So I'm not saying that this this is not a top ten game, um, okay. but I think it deserves to be higher than twenty six. This and I'm not I'm not attacking you mm-hmm. for liking this game or the and, friends and, of ours we know that like I'm, the game. And I'm not saying I I do like the game. In that I I, I don't know that I want to play it again, but I think I have more an appreciation for the game that it is. Fair, fair. I was just pointing out from an observer's mm-hmm. standpoint and what you have said, where what I see is in Sword of Rome, or here I stand, which are the natural comparisons for this game, mm-hmm. is everyone at least has the same opportunities right. to be the big dog. Now, you may get your teeth kicked in in Sword of Rome and you're out of it. Or, you know, someone may pile on you and here I stand and, you know, block you from that game winning victory and you're effectively out of it until someone else swoops in. But at least when the game starts, you all have the same potential ahead of you. Yeah, I get that. But here's the problem. I think comparing Sword of Rome and Empire in Arms is kind of like comparing ASL and uh, 
and last hundred yards because Fair. they're not trying to do the same thing. Okay. How far up would you send this? Uh, I would send it. Cause I have, I have a definite ceiling. I'm not going to tell you where that's out, but sure. I have a game in mind that there's no way it gets in front of. Um, I would put it at 20. I would put it below axis empires. Then move okay. it up six spots. Um, I think I think it might be better than Sekigahara and Sword of Rome. Um, I think Axis Empires is is a similar comparison in that it's a multi-country sort of open world struggle for power. Um, and I think that Axis Empires, even though I haven't played it, I played Unconditional Surrender Europe, I think might overall be a better choice. I don't... Oof, man, that's, that's hard to tell. I can maybe see Sword of Rome... Um, just because of the scale, like uh-huh. as as even though I just tried to pitch that as a bad thing, how epic is that? I mean, that's that's nuts. That what you're trying to accomplish, and the things you can do far exceed what you can do in Sword of Rome. From a design standpoint, Sekigahara is fantastic. What it's able to accomplish with way less rules and way less time is really impressive. Yeah, you might be right on that. So maybe maybe at twenty one. I mean, I could be talked out of Sekigahara. That's just a tougher pill to swallow than Sword of Rome because I can see like the scope yeah. and size of this once in a lifetime experience that Empire in Arms is going past Sword of Rome. But then it, to me, Sekigahara is yeah, yeah. And I think I slotted it there because it it feels it like fits. it should be in between Axis and Empires and Sword of Rome. But Sekigahara yeah. is kind of a whole different thing in the middle of that. So I'll go twenty one. All right, I'll, I'll I'll meet you there. All right, let's okay. do that. All right, up to twenty one. I'm gonna redo the website. <laughs> All right, the new twenty one Empire and Arms. All right. My so my ceiling was there was no way it was getting past onward Christian soldiers. Okay, man, we gotta play that. Yep. 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 Wow. All right. Uh, so that's every war game ever. I, you know, we we've talked about additions before, like a war game we played. That yeah. There's no way in heck. I I don't know. Is that is that like? I was thinking about that, and nothing really popped up as something that like there's no way we're gonna does, play. Does battle for Galicia need to go on there? Nah, I, don't know. I mean, if I wanted to throw that on there, I could. It's gonna be pretty low. If yeah, if I mean, we can put it on there and probably not talk about it too much. I would put it. I put it at 41. It's better than Ottoman Sunset. It's not as good as Few Acres of Snow. I'll go for it. Bad at least it knocks one off our list. <laughs> there you go. Right. But it, then, but it also added yeah, one. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Battle for Galicia from... Oh, this is out of uh, Paper Wars? Uh, it was a magazine game that sounds right. Yeah. Paper, yeah, right the there. Compass yeah. magazine. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right episode we're in episode 33 yep how my notes on ottoman sunset are weird i gotta fix (laughs) that somehow i got cut off okay there we go all right folks now it is the time that don't leave too soon because we're about to hear from liz davidson from beyond solitaire so you don't want to miss that but after liz does her thing then we're going to talk about all the other stuff you may not care about we're going to talk about her Favorite nonfiction, favorite fiction, favorite drinks, favorite RPGs, movies, TV shows, podcasts, music, pipe tobacco, and everything else. So, stick around for that. But first, 
Liz Davidson. Hey gamers, this is Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire, and I am so excited to talk about my best of 2021. In terms of books, I read a lot this year and I discovered Barbara Demick, who is an investigative journalist who wrote two amazing books that I read this year. One is called Eat the Buddha, and it's about life and death in a Tibetan town. And the other is called Nothing to Envy, and it's about North Korea. In terms of games, I'm the most excited that Hoplomachus Victorum is coming out. I got to preview it earlier in the year, and I just can't wait for the final thing to show up. So 2021 was good, and let's hope for 2022 to be better. I think I was most impressed by Liz actually like fitting in the 30 second time slot. <laughs> and like I messaged her, I was like, you know, and the more I think about it, I think 30 seconds is like really hard to do. So feel free to take more time. She's like, nope, it's a challenge. I'm going to do it. It's like an advertisement. You got to, got to hit that nut mark. She did. It's it. And uh, props to her. Um, you know, in addition to Beyond Solitaire and great one reviews and then interviews with different war game folks, you know, Sebastian Bay, David Thompson people we've mentioned and talked about have been interviewed by Liz. Go check them out. Um, Liz also covers a whole bunch of book stuff, which Rich and I like books. So mm-hmm. let's talk about some nonfiction. This was an easy year for me. to. F- I filled out, you know, three new books to me. Uh, fiction was much harder. I will start, I guess. Let's talk about some World War II action. These are a little bit in the best to worst um, for nonfiction here. Uh, so Arnhem, The Battle for the Bridges, 1944 by Anthony Beaver. It, it, you know, just Anthony Beaver is one of my favorite nonfiction writers. Mm-hmm. I like the amount of fantastic stories he incorporates into the nonfiction. And this was just a good one. Yeah. It's probably the best nonfiction I read this year. haven't read that, but I really should. I think, uh, I think Goss is going to come out with an, a market bar- garden game. Probably, probably not next year, but when that comes out, I'll definitely get it. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll read this then. There you go. Uh, for me, World War II book, Normandy 44 by James Holland. Um, I've been listening to his podcast for a while. He's got a podcast called We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Uh, this first book I've read of his, he's got a bunch of books out, but this is the first one I've read. And I just love his writing style. And it sounds like, I mean, same thing you just talked about. It's, it's the stories mixed in. Um, you know, some guys are are all stories and some guys are just like lists of units and where they fought and james <laughs> holland is is just a, a perfect a mix of the two so great book normandy 44 yep he's been someone i've been accumulating and as soon as we play another game that matches up to something he's written uh i'll read him yeah uh maybe not a uh, when game. salerno comes out he's got a salerno Ooh. book there you go, yeah. money. Not a historical book, but it is nonfiction. Born to Run by Christopher McDougall. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about this. Like, this is a book that gets recommended to like anyone who starts running or anything like that. And even if you're not, I mean, it is a book about running. Do not get me wrong. It is also still just a really cool story about these runners from Mexico, mm-hmm. and it's good. Born to Run by Christopher McDougall. Have you read uh, Natural Born Heroes by him? No. Very good. Not as good as Born okay. to Run, but very good. It's about uh, it's about the it's about guys on Crete during World War II. Interesting. Yeah. But it's about it's a, it's got the same kind of feel about it about how these guys grew up like climbing mountains and stuff like that, and how uh, how they were able to use that to effectively fight against the Germans in World War II. So, good book. Natural Born Heroes. Yeah. Check it out. Thanks. 
Yeah, my next one is the same name of a, a, a game that we played. Oh, no, we the game was Washington's Crossing. The book was Washington's Immortals by Patrick O'Donnell, who we've talked about him uh, with some other books he's written, but this was a really good one. It started, it basically just followed a, a group of elite uh, soldiers that were under George Washington's command. It started with like the Battle of Brooklyn and then followed them around to the events of Washington's Crossing the game. Very good book. Nice. Uh, my last book for nonfiction is the most recent, as far as I know, you know, full book on Yen Bin Fu, and that's Valley of the Shadow by Kevin Boylan. Mm-hmm. Just very readable, very approachable, very like up to date and modern, and I really liked it. It was a perfect companion piece to Dian Bin Fu. Yeah. My last one, I don't think we have a book of the year per se, but if we had one for me, this would be it. Uh, Ghost Soldiers by Hampton Sides. Um, just an excellent book. It was about um, the U.S. efforts to relieve uh, or, or rescue the soldiers from a Japanese POW camp before the Japanese went and executed them all. Um, fantastic book. I loved every second of it. So, And it got me reading other stuff by him as well. So, Totally recommend this stuff. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, so new to us fiction. This was really hard for me. I had to cut some books and one just slipped in today because <laughs> I finished it today. I'll start because I have more than you. And I cheated on my first one. One of these I read a long time ago and others I read this year. And that's the Strugatsky brothers, Russian sci-fi. Uh, I talked about it and gushed about it. Um, sometime over the summer, probably, uh, Roadside Picnic, which there's a movie of. And then the one I really liked, and some people don't like this one, is The Dead Mountaineers Inn. It's a sci-fi whodunit in this um, hotel out in the middle of nowhere. I loved it. The characters are wonky and weird. Um, but actually, I think my favorite from them is a novella called Definitely Maybe, which is really bizarre. Like, Roadside Picnic is just kind of like a weird sci-fi with like this weird containment zone, and it's pretty straightforward. It kind of takes place over time. Mm-hmm. Dead Mountaineers Inn has really wonky characters, and Definitely Maybe will be like things just like things just cut off and, and start up again. But you can like you can read it in in, in you know one sitting. I really like the Strugatsky brothers. Cool. Uh, my first one for non for, for fiction is uh, I just randomly found this on audible. I think it was in their plus catalogs. I didn't have to pay for it. It was called the Cthulhu case books. Uh, it's by James Lovegrove. And it's just this really weird, hilarious. Um, it's, it's Sherlock Holmes meets Cthulhu. So it's like Watson, you know, back in, like way after Sherlock Holmes is even dead, sort of recalling all the old Sherlock stories that that you already know if you've read any Sherlock Holmes, like all of the classic stuff. Except Watson is like, I never really told you the whole story because it was too weird. And he goes into all the stuff that like weaves in Cthulhu mythos and all that. It's just bizarre and funny and entertaining. It's it's so good. There's a whole series of them. I only read the first one. Like I said, I just randomly found it on Audible, but I want to read the rest of the series now. Nice. It's on my to read. Yeah. Okay, this one I talked about on the podcast. I think all of these have been mentioned except the last one, and that's The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. Uh, I'm not a massive... I don't dislike Neil Gaiman in any way. I just haven't read a ton of Neil Gaiman stuff. I did read Norse mythology this year. Um, But The Ocean at the End of the Lane is this coming-of-age story, and to me it felt like 
what I wanted some, and I mentioned this before, what something wicked this way comes should have been. I know for a lot of people, something wicked this way comes is really important coming of age book and it's weird and people really like it. And there's a movie, although I love the atmosphere and it was like wonderful to listen to the fall when I was out jogging and stuff, it didn't do a lot for me. And ocean at the end of the lane did the things that I wanted something wicked this way comes did if that makes any sense it's a wonderful kind of uh fantasy like witch there's kind of like witches involved um really good like it's short um probably six hours or something Mm -hmm. like that uh just really good recommend it cool yeah we're listening my wife and i are listening to his north mythology right now that's a fun one yeah um my next one is one that you got me on the elementals by uh, mm-hmm. Michael McDowell, I think. Is that right? Yep. Um, just a weird, <laughs> weird, creepy book um, about uh, these uh, this very strange family, very and this uh, their sort of ancestral vacation house that's like right on the the Gulf Shores. Um, yeah, just weird and creepy and and good, good book. 100 percent agree yeah <laughs> okay my book of the year easily is project hail mary by andy weir now i loved the martian and i um the other one was good i i didn't like it quite as much i can't remember what it's called i've only read the martian by him artemis was the other one okay this is fantastic it's probably just as good if not better than um the martian and i really am not going to say much of anything about it because it's a lot of things are revealed over time just ba- the the very like someone waking up and they start to remember things that's all i'm really going to go into uh it's very good and certainly certainly lives up to the hype it's a, a book that's gotten a lot of buzz this year it was goodreads best sci-fi well-deserving I uh, can't recommend it enough if you just want a good sci-fi book. I'll have to check that out. I enjoyed The Martian. I thought it was good. And then I watched yeah. the movie afterwards just because I, I knew about the movie, have, had never read it or seen it or anything. So I, um, the movie was pretty true to the book as well. I totally recommend the audiobook for Project Hail Mary. Uh, it's only on Audible, okay. but um, fantastic. Uh, nice. Well, someone has returned. He's back. He's back to tell us about his books, his drinks. It's Jason Young. For books, uh, I, I kind of gave one of each category of, of stuff that I read. Nonfiction, uh, kind of work, nonfiction, um, business type stuff. And then fiction. Um, this year for me was the year of Civil War. So my top nonfiction book was the Lincoln biography I read by David Herbert Donald. Uh, really good, um, I think fairly balanced look at, at Lincoln's life. On the business side, Leadership, Strategy, and Tactics, Field Manual by Jocko Willink. I've read his other two books, um, Dichotomy of Leadership and Extreme Ownership, and Leadership, Strategy, and Tactics kind of combines those in a way that makes it more usable, but it's kind of, it's it's the evolution of, of those books, I would say. Um Great business book. I think it should be on every every leader's uh, bookshelf. And fiction, the the book 
or the novel uh, Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. Um, it's kind of timey-wimey, um, kind of a, a sci-fi jaunt. Um, really enjoyed Dark Matter. Uh, I won't give anything away because it's basically all spoilers other than timey-wimey, um, but, but great. Drinks, Evan Williams bottom, Bottled in Bond uh, is really the, the drink of the year for me along with the old trusty favorites, Newcastle Brown, uh, and then this year discovered El Tesoro Tequila, which, which is kind of a advanced after combat guild favorite. You know, I will say, I had a tiki party over the summer, which was fantastic. Yeah. I, I still feel like I did not get tiki enough this year, which is a real shame, because I don't have any Yeah, it seemed like you had a good momentum going and then kind of died off. Well, I had a great party, uh, but... Everything at the party was like um, I, I kept it easy because I knew I'd get sloshed. <laughs> um, and then I don't I did make hot buttered rum for the first time, but to be honest, I like the batter more in my coffee than I actually like the hot buttered rum cocktail. It's still good, yeah. But I did have a great cocktail. That's a crossover for us this year. Definitely. Not a tiki drink though. Yeah, the Godfather. Yeah, three parts scotch to two parts amaretto. Right. That's the way I do it. I heard you could do two to one as well, but I think I've been doing three to two, mostly because if I do two to one, <laughs> I, I that's only three, but three to two is five, and that's more, and that's better. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just your favorite scotch. Um, you can do a Godmother, which is bourbon, I believe. Yeah, yep. But and I usually have more bourbon in the house than scotch. But we we're talking about Lagavulin earlier. That's I think most of my Lagavulin went into Godfather's. There you go. There you go. It's very good. Yeah, it is. Thank you, Mike, for introducing me to Godfather. Yeah. Yeah, so I love the Godfather. Um, and what I just finished off my bottle of tonight is Jefferson's Ocean, which is a, a bourbon that I'm just in love with. And I'm going to go out tomorrow and buy some more. Where's that out of? Oh, I don't know. Let's see. I'm looking at the bottle here. I don't know. It's got a, it's got a, there's, there's Jefferson's which is just like the regular stuff. And then there's Jefferson's ocean, which they actually put in barrels and sail around the world for a while. It's from Louisville, Kentucky. Huh? Yeah. Bourbon. Oh, bourbon. Jefferson's ocean. It's my okay. favorite Bob's Bob's burgers, uh, Christmas song. I don't remember that one. Oh, it's when, uh, have you seen the one where they, I don't remember why, but it ends up like on an ice skating rink where, their their landlord's brother is skating around and their landlord is playing the mm. bourbon song on the piano. Mm-mm. Good stuff. Okay, so they really do sail this sh- around the ocean. They say they do. I <laughs> I don't know if I want to call shenanigans or not. <laughs> Seems like a gimmick. Yeah, it does seem like a gimmick, but it's good. Aged at sea. Yep. Huh. All right. Uh what do we have next? We got RPGs. RPGs. So, yeah. I I made a note here that I think we both actually played these before 2021. Yeah. But in my case, and I'm assuming for yours, it was the year that they like, it really shined for me. Yeah, and this might have been kind of end of last year, but definitely this year for me. Um, Warhammer Fantasy RPG. Um, I just I, I like it more and more every time I play. It's just because it's it's you know it's it's just very gritty. It's it's I, I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before, but when I think of Warhammer, 
I think of like the guys with like the 900 pound power armor and everything. And that doesn't really appeal to me, but the fantasy role-playing game is the exact opposite of that. You play very normal people that end up, you know, gaining skills in certain things. But my guy was like a college student that then became a grave digger. And now he's a guy that picks up money for an extortionist. So, um, you know, he, he's not a superhero by any means. Um, so it's, it's just, it's just fun to me. Yeah. The one that really picked up momentum for me was something I wanted to play for a long time. I know we talked about it and that's call of Cthulhu, uh, seventh edition. If it matters, this is the year we played it the most. I think technically we started the Tom sound campaign at the end of 2020. Um, but we've now wrapped up two little short stories within it. Somehow Rich's character is, um, still standing even after peering into the depths no, of space. No, I didn't. I was you the did only not. one That's that right. did not. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's just good. I even I got a chance to play Call of Cthulhu, which I think is also really important. I would like to play it more. I would really like to go... I want to do a really character-driven Call of Cthulhu game that I play in. Yeah, well, I'm going to make that happen for you because I'm definitely running it next year. I've got... I've got all this stuff here and I'm actually going to run it for some friends here locally and I'll probably run some stuff online as well. Awesome. I look forward to that because we did a one shot and it was very fun, but it was very action packed. Right. And so when you do one shots like that, there isn't opportunities for characters to develop. And I really want to like really go ham into a character for Call of Cthulhu. Yep. Uh, And there's probably more. I just, that was the one that immediately came to mind. So that's it for RPGs. Uh, shall we talk about movies? Yeah, this was a tough one for me though, because I, I actually had to ask my wife, I'm like, did I see any good movies this year? (sighs) Um, and we did go see Shang-Chi in the theaters, the legend of the 10 rings, a Marvel movie. And it was very good. I mean, the effects were great. The fight scenes were great. It was everything that you want out of a Marvel movie. Um, but I, I just, I, I, I can't think of any other movie I even saw in the theaters in this year. And even like on TV and stuff, we just, we don't watch many movies. Most of the movies we watch honestly are stuff that we've already seen. So it was not a great year for movies for us. Uh, so I did, didn't have much on there. Yeah. I have a confession that Dune would be on this list. I guarantee I'm going to like it, yeah. which is a bold claim, but I have not had the time to sit down and watch it because it's something I will probably watch on my own. Uh-huh. I don't think my wife has any interest, which is fine. And so that's my confession is I haven't watched Dune yet, which would probably be on this list. Instead, I've got Fear Streets Parts 1 and 2. And it's a nice blend of... So Fear Street, if you're unfamiliar, is a Netflix movie that takes parts over three parts. Part one, two, and three. And the characters, the actors are reused in different roles. Mm -hmm. And so there's one set in the 90s, there's one set in the 70s, and there's one set in the 1600s. And it's the right blend uh, in one and two. I actually haven't watched the third part yet. Uh, We kind of lost momentum. I really do like one and two, though. It's the right blend of over-the-topness, not too scary, and also some comedy, especially in Fear Street Part 1. That really just made it like a really fun popcorn watch with the wife. I really enjoyed them. I think it'd be really cool to do a similar thing with RPGs where you have like uh, a mystery overarching all the way back from the 1600s. Something tying for that mystery happens in the 70s and the 90s. And but That would be uh, really amazing if fun. you could make it work, yeah. Yep. Well, I think making it work's easy enough. I just don't know what system you would use to be 
characters in all those time periods. Yeah. Uh, let's do some TV. Now, this is not new to you this year, is it? Uh, I think so. I think we just watched oh, really? it this year, The Expanse. Wow. Yeah, um, we were one. We were late, late joiners to that one. But we, once we started watching, we blew through the whole thing. And we haven't started the last season yet, which just opened last weekend. But I think we're actually going to start that tonight. So, um, yeah, yeah. The The Expanse. We didn't. I don't think we watched that until this year, and it's just fantastic. Nice. I don't know why I waited uh, so long. <laughs> So this will be spoiler free because you have not watched it yet. The um, last season? What, no, I've not. Oh, oh, Midnight. Yeah. Oh, no. Midnight Mass. Right. Which is the latest uh, from the produce the creators of Haunting in Hill House and Haunting in Bly Manor. It is, I think, my least favorite now that I've digested it over the three. Bly Manor. Like I know some people really didn't like it. Like that resonated with me somehow. Maybe it was the actors. I don't know. I really like Bly Manor. That's the short of it. But also. There's so, so much interesting stuff in Midnight Mass that I almost want to rewatch it more so than the other ones. Yeah. Um, it's not near as scary. Okay. I think they decrease in scarcity, uh, scariness, spookiness over the three. Starting with Haunted Hill House is the scariest. Bly Manor wasn't very scary in Midnight Mass. It had, you know, two or three jump scares. There's also some, like, discussion in that show that, like, really stuck with me and, like, fucked me up for a few <laughs> days. Kind of about, like, what happens in the afterlife and, like, really messed with me. So Interesting. Uh, I really liked it. Midnight Mass. Yeah. I'll be watching that one soon enough. We'll probably watch The Expanse and then back to Midnight Mass. So Haunting Hill House is also on my list. I saw Hill House and Bly Manor both uh, in the last few months as well. I liked Hill House better. Uh, Bly Manor was good. I didn't dislike it. I just liked Hill House better. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing Midnight Mass. Yeah, Bly Manor really is a love story. Yeah. A haunted love story. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's... Uh, but Haunting of Hill House is one of my favorite TV shows. It's so well done. Mm-hmm. Started watching with my daughter because I thought she would like it. And, and uh, she just wasn't really in the right place at the right time. And she started off, she's like, well tell me if there's a jump scare. I'm like, I'm not going to tell you. That's the whole point of the jump scare. <laughs> and then she just, she was in such like a weird place. She's like, I don't think I can watch this right now. So we ended up not watching it. Um, but that was going to be a rewatch because my wife and I saw the whole thing. Then when you rewatch it, then that's when you look for, look the... for the ghosts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Bent neck lady. Bent neck lady. Yeah. <laughs> so fucking... Oh, I love it. I need to read the book. I know that it's not really tied to too much, but I keep saying I'll read the original book. Yeah, I want to read it too. It sounds interesting. It sounds like it's more like the character names and concepts are the same more than it being the same story. Speaking of character names and concepts being the same, <laughs> let's hear from Jason. Yeah, because he's back like a ghost. <laughs> My intros are getting weaker. <laughs> let's do TV. My wife and I enjoyed... Um, the CB Strike series on Amazon. I think it's on Amazon. It's based on some J.K. Rowling novels. It's great. You know, J.K. Rowling is uh, kind of problematic, but the show was, was quite good. Um, from Adam Chance, discovered the Doom Patrol show on HBO. Uh, I read the the Doom Patrol comics back in the day. Um, and they're, they're, they're quite weird at times uh, and the show captures that beautifully uh, really weird great show I watched all three seasons this year um, it's gory it's super weird graphic irreverent uh, loved everything about it 
also on HBO, Lovecraft Country. Um, I enjoyed the book. Um, I think might have enjoyed the show a little bit more. Um, it has less kind of cringy Jim Crow stuff in it. Um, also gory. Lots of fun. Not super scary. Uh, the book's not either, but um, really enjoyed Lovecraft Country, the show. For podcasts, uh, 1865 by Wondery continued to just be great. I can't remember if I discovered it this year or late last year, um, but it basically pick, it picks up um, right after Lincoln is assassinated, um, or I guess right after he's shot, excuse me. Um, and so the story is kind of the conflict and interplay um, between Stanton and Wells and Seward under the Johnson administration and, and kind of the, the politicking that, that went on there um, and then kind of con continues on from there. Um, it's it's a bit of an audio play, um, which I don't usually love, um, but 1865 is great, great, great story. Um, and kind of get that that uh, uh, Mars and, and Neptune interplay. Old Gods of Appalachia, um, Matt and Rich talk about it all the time. It's fantastic. Um, you know, horror short stories, serialized, just just great stuff. Uh, and then on the RPG front, Fear of a Black Dragon uh, just continues to be really the best RPG podcast. They they look at kind of OSR modules from kind of a modern slash story gamer perspective. Uh, just just great stuff. But my outros aren't because speaking of old gods of Appalachia. I've heard of that. Look, I, there was no doubt. Like if this, if there were odds on our best of show, I think the only sure thing was either Panzer's last stand making the list or <laughs> old gods of Appalachia making the list. Yeah, definitely. And this is a crossover. Are you caught up? I just listened to the, to the most recent one. No, I've not today. listened to box holler stuff. The brand new spanking okay, new stuff. Yeah. Nope. 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 Good stuff. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think the first season's my favorite, just because at that point I was still so like jaw drop, like what is this? Yeah. Uh, so this is Cthulhu esque, Lovecraftian horror. I, I shouldn't say Cthulhu esque, Lovecraftian horror. Well, okay, whatever. Otherworldly horror stuff set in Appalachia during different time periods, um, with one of the best narrators in the biz it's just he's got a great accent and it's spooky it's short it's digestible you can blaze through those first like 20 something episodes to get the first two seasons mm -hmm. and now there's new stuff uh called springtime in boggs hall i love the first season though are you a patreon of them I did. I joined to get the RPG information. Okay, so you've heard because I'm not, so I haven't heard Build Mama a Coffin. No, I didn't. I think you got to throw in five bucks for that. I haven't done that yet. Oh, okay. And once okay. I'm caught up, if I'm desperate for more, I will. Yeah. But I mean, I still have now. I have Boggs Holler, yeah. so I got it just in time. Cool. And I don't listen to like they'll they'll promote another show. I usually skip those. Yeah, I is, listened to the first one, and then I was like, yeah, eh, it's fine, and then I skipped it after that. Yeah, because I think what I've said before is I don't like podcasts like this. I tried to do <laughs> what was the one? Not this American Life. Um, once serial got blown up, like someone somehow someone said, "Oh, if you like serial, then you should listen to this." And it was a radio play about like going into like an old nuclear facility or something like that. Yeah, I don't know what I it's never called. Heard that. And, yeah, 
usually these are not for me. Right. I do have Jason mentioned that 1865. I have had that queued up and ready to go, but I just haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah. All right. The other one for me, and this I this has been mentioned before, but and I may have started this in 2020, but I didn't start really appreciating it until 2021, and that's voluminous by the. Uh, which is the letters of H.P. Lovecraft. It is the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society podcast where they just read Lovecraft letters. You don't need to sugarcoat Lovecraft or make excuses for him. He's a racist, odd dude, fucking incel that just (laughs) was scared to go anywhere and just weird. But his letter writing and the correspondence between different people is super fascinating. And just peeling back the curtain and getting that dialogue and just hearing about how... You know, either hearing about how stories were written or how they work together on them or just like the gossip in the industry or the other stuff I found super fascinating is like curry recipes and stuff like that. It's like once I really started to dive in or once I found a letter I really liked and found interesting, I I really like this this podcast. And they're not always good, but yeah, this was the year I did a lot of Luminous and really liked it. Cool. Uh, music. Music, music. Okay. I can't remember if I talked about Phoebe Bridgers last year or not, but I jammed out to Phoebe <laughs> Bridgers hard this year. Yeah. And no shame. To, and, and, oh, I would never knock anyone for the musical interests anyways. Um, but uh, she's a beautiful, beautiful vocalist. Um, she has some great albums. Uh, Stranger in the Alps, uh, Punisher are all great. <laughs> Stranger um, in the Alps. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And then she did a cover this year of Day After Tomorrow by Tom Waits, Tom Waits, who's like sings really weird folky blues, like with a really weird, distinct voice. Uh And her cover of Day After Tomorrow is like, it's just a beautiful song. Cool. It's so good. Phoebe Bridgers. Well, I'm going to list one that I guarantee none of our listeners have ever heard of, but that's good. I'm going to set you up with these guys. So um, I, I don't listen. My my musical tastes are, are probably odd. Um, I definitely don't listen to a lot of like new music. Um, a lot of the stuff I listen to is, uh, I mean, it's, it's choral stuff. It's barbershop. It's sometimes jazz. I get on a few new things here and there, but it's definitely not anything you're ever going to hear on the radio or anything. Um, but actually there's a, a barbershop quartet that is, it's two of the guys in the quartet are friends of mine. Um, and they're very good. And they just put out their first album this year. They're the name of the quartet is fleet street and the album is dressed in red. So, uh, I would say that's the best new music that I listened to this year because I'm happy for those guys. They put out a good album. It's very good. Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Now, Phoebe Bridges was my favorite artist this year, but favorite single record and actual physical record as well is The Perfect Plan by The Lowest Pair, which is a duet of kind of like indie folk music and some of it's kind of sad and folky and then it's also upbeat and stuff and it plays great as a single record. Listening through sounds great on vinyl, all of that stuff. Um easily my favorite record of the year it may have come out before 2021 but i discovered it in 2021 nice so before we move to our catch-all the miscellaneous everything we forgot about we will hear 
for Mr. Jason himself one more time. Speaking of quartets, it's his fourth appearance. <laughs> oh, nice. Glad someone's doing the heavy lifting around here. <laughs> Something different. Pipe tobacco this year. Um, really, really kind of picked up the pipe this year. Lane HGL has been my hotness. It's kind of a vanilla, smoky, excellent, great stuff. Um, Escudo, beautiful coins. Um, it's, it's kind of a kind of a spicy, sweet situation. Kentucky Broadcut from Diebel's out by out by Matt um, is like a chocolate walnut, just delicious. And then Figgy Pudding from Country Squire out by uh, Adam Chance. Um, is like a chocolate, um, like fudgy, kind of figgy, just sweet, sweet treat. Great stuff. Keep up the great work, guys. Love hearing every month from, from Matt and Rich. You guys are doing a great job. And I look forward to hearing more from you next year. Thank you again to Jason, to all of our wonderful special guests. Thank you to our listeners this year. It's been a wonderful year. I'm so happy with all the things we're doing with the podcast. Um, so before we wrap up with just our favorite other junk, thank you, thank you, thank you, Rich, for another great year of podcasting and gaming together a couple times in person. And speaking of that, I think you have a favorite miscellaneous. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's it, it's not just about gaming. I mean, but it's it's getting back together in person. Um I mean, we are not through this yet. I work in, in healthcare, and we had a pretty scary call today about where things are going. So it's not over, but it this year was better than last year. So, you know, going to going to KC Fest, um, being able to go to face-to-face gaming with people, um, being able to sing in front of a live audience, those are all things that I'm going to remember from this year. Nice. Um well, I think you took you took the the sappy and best one. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, Donkey Kong, Historic Fest, I seventy Showdown, face to face gaming, Mitch and Rex um, playing Drunk Croconole till <laughs> two three a.m. and well, playing till like two a.m. and then discussing every war game ever drunk <laughs> for like the next hour. Um, all of that is obviously some of my favorite stuff from the year on a less thankful note and more item based note biking. Um, sort of riding a bike this year. And although I haven't kept up with it as much as I would like to, it's always tough. Um, it's just such a wonderful escape, especially once you start going for a long ride and just get out there and all you have to really do about it is pedal, uh, and just seeing beautiful sights. Um, thankful for that that was definitely a favorite as well yeah i love riding my bike just being out in nature like holly's getting old enough to uh, our daughter um like she's really appreciating it when we went down to the cabin you know she would have chucked rocks into that river for <laughs> five days if i didn't tell her it's time to go up so um just doing stuff like that with her going on hikes with her it's all, all good stuff that's obviously favorites yeah um i think also just you know, I only talked about six books, but um, this is easily the the most books I've read in a year. And although there's probably been best, better books in years past, uh, Hail Mary is really good. But like nonfiction wise, you know, in years when I read Red Platoon or um, 
Hampton Sides Korea book, like those stand out, but I've, this has really been an outstanding year for me for books, so I'm really appreciative of that. Yeah, you track those better than I do. I try to track my games, I never track my books. Yeah, it's just nice, it's, I don't know, I really like keeping track of books, and then next year I'm going to try to go for 52 in 2022. Cool. Which is, if I get it, great, if not, it's not that big a deal. I don't really care, I just like keeping track of it. <laughs> um... I think that's all All my favorite stuff. It was pretty light in comics. I, I scratched the comic category this year. I had some I really liked. Homesick Pilots was one that I really liked. I mean, um, it's got like kids in, in haunted houses with a, a fun twist on it at the end. Um, I reread some Black Hammer stuff. That was fantastic. It's one of the best comics out there, especially not from the big two. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anything else, Rich? Hmm. No, I don't think so. I really enjoyed. Uh, you mentioned it already, but uh, getting together in in Colombia, you know, the four of us mm-hmm. to play again. That was a lot of fun. That's definitely something we should do at least once and probably twice a year. Oh yeah, Makes a great I mean, Saturday. gosh, and just think about like someday we will. Get- hopefully obviously get back to normal and just you know do that go out to dinner and have some scotch or have a beer somewhere and head back you and you and mitch carpool down together mm-hmm. you guys drove separately last time right because you we you were hanging did, out with your daughter right right because i yeah and then we ended up we got stuck in football traffic and yeah it was a mess anyway but yeah. That yeah we gotta look at the, the yeah. uh, uh, mizzou yeah. football schedule um yeah so we got some Hopefully some new and big things coming in 2022, Historic Fest, obviously. We've got our first couple episodes planned out. We've got our, um, you know, in the three years we've been doing this, it started with uh, our anticipated games of, well, it started with the 20, 2018 recap, and then, um, then I did anticipated games, and we've done that with Rich. And then we did Rich's top, my top 10, the Rich's top 10. So next month we're going to do our anticipated games of 2022. We're also going to check in on all the games. And I mean <laughs> all the games of 2021 that didn't come out. Uh, and then we're going to do Battle my top 10. <laughs> yeah, right, right. 2021, take two. Uh, my top 10 following that. So we're already looking ahead to 2022. Designers on the mic is lined up two designers really excited about that got one in january one in february lined up ready to go can confirm them this isn't the one that one fell through this year but uh, it is what it is so that'll be back lots good things coming mm-hmm. and i hope i hope all of our listeners and rich you and your family and all our listeners families have a very merry christmas happy holidays whatever you celebrate a very happy new year i hope that all of you are able to get in as much family gaming as you would like over this time period it's always for us a just time full of party games and all kinds of good stuff yeah i'm sure we'll be playing some clank and pandemic and stuff like that so but uh hopefully hopefully get twilight imperium in too i haven't haven't had a chance to uh to play with the expansion yet so i'm hoping to get that in over the holidays you know what that reminds me next Tuesday after next, I will be playing here. I stand. Oh yeah, that's I'll right. Playing the Papacy. Nice. Yeah, it should be a good time. Yeah, I might hop in. I have to work, so I can't play. But I might join you guys just to 
the spectator. Shoot the shit. Yep. Yeah. Pop on by. We'll be doing that. Six players should be good. I'm going to put some headphones on, listen to some good music, and just enjoy it. Uh, thank you so much, everyone. Yeah. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Uh, be safe, and we'll play some more games next year. We'll see you in a month. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.